you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and coming back is... Uh, yes, and I'm Keith Isles, and we're both independent filmmakers that like to review and discuss uh, other directors' work. And yes, you're, you, you are indeed right. I am back from... Uh, I had to miss the Ivan Reitman podcast because of work commitments, annoyingly. Um, but thank you to, to Clive... Um, you know, for standing in and providing a very interesting podcast, which I really enjoyed. So there's no more Zool, only Keith. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. No, I wasn't. I wasn't in bed with the. Uh, uh, what was it? In, <laughs> in bed with the. Uh, um, oh God, Crypt Keeper or whatever, wasn't it? What Gatekeeper. Was it? Gatekeeper. Yes, I can remember <laughs> the name. Yeah, I wasn't. No, no. As 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 Clive said, I wasn't doing that. No, uh, I was in fact working very hard um and you know uh do appreciate him standing in for me i wish actually we could um we could guest occasionally on his podcast but some genius decided to set their one thousands of years in the future in outer space by trying to surround it with a drama so we can't we can't <laughs> guest on them which is really annoying because there were loads of 80s tv shows that i'd have loved to have uh, been part of the conversation on but there you go thanks well, there's nothing to say that they can't pick up the stray astronaut along the way exactly or a or a uh, a message floating through space sent from the distant past <laughs> exactly that answers every question that they ask <laughs> exactly exactly i mean let's be honest let's be honest by the time they get to the middle of the alphabet that is going to be a contemporary show isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, this sounds really bad we sound like we're really bashing the show we enjoy the oh, show no, we it's, love the it's show. just no, it's... they're just taking their time Absolutely. And this is a plug for them, actually. If anybody's listening, uh, the A to Z of SFF. God, that's hard to say sometimes. Um, really good podcast. Really interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, very thorough. But um, but no, it was good. Um, it was good to hear about Ivan Reitman and yeah, forget some of the uh, some of the bits and pieces like you were saying about films he produced, etc. I mean, um, I'm actually more of a fan of his, again, nepotism rules, but more of a fan of his, his son, Jason, uh, as yeah. a director, I think. But uh, 
But um, I did laugh when uh, Clive described my favourite ever scene from Stripes, which is the bit when the guy's looking through the uh, telescope into the ladies' showers and he says, <laughs> oh, I wish I was a Luther and all this. And then they walk in and that brilliant comedic timing where he throws the, uh, the telescope out the window. I thought that was brilliant. And I like that scene for many reasons, obviously. <laughs> But there you go. That's that's all right. If you're admitting you're a perv, it's it's fine. You're in good company. Well, yeah, I think uh, yes. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's move on. Um, so, Keith, um, who is tonight's director? Well, I mean, we're on S, and let's be honest, S is one of those where there is an abundance. We've got Scorsese, Scott, Soderbergh, Stone, Singer, to name just a few. Yeah, mm. but. Um, uh, I, I feel it's only right that we're talking about this man because apart from uh, Hitchcock, S- Star Wars, the Alien and Batman franchise, it's probably the name that comes up in pretty much every podcast we've ever done <laughs> from the start. And it is where it all started for me. It is the one and only Steven Spielberg, the God. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, he's... Uh... He's a, a very prolific uh, director uh, who's you know his who's made some really big films in his time. I mean, kind of at the moment he seems to be quite happy doing um, like history films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always look at it. He's kind of has two strands with his career. Mm. You've got like his 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 popcorn entertainment movies, which are usually action and or sci-fi adventures so your indiana jones your et your jurassic parks and whatever but then he's also got these historical dramas and and biopics like uh, munich and schindler's list and bridge of spies and 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 those type of films so it is interesting how he he does have sort of two strands to his um his career if you like as a filmmaker anyway yeah i mean uh, for me i've always sort of been a, a big fan of the of his popcorn films Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's where, you, you know, for, for me, uh, and I think on the fourth podcast we did or the second podcast extra or whatever, we talked about, um, it was one of those memory lane ones where we talked about what it was that, that, that got us into filmmaking. And mm. um, I cited at the time that, that uh, you, you know, for me, uh, it had gone back to fairly early childhood, you know, pre pre 10 years old, certainly that i began to become interested in filmmaking and whatever. And it was kind of, if Star Wars was the film that got me into it, I would say Spielberg was definitely the man that got me into it. And um, that was simply because uh, I told the story before of how I had the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark on a, on a VHS tape. In fact, yeah. I had that in Star Wars on the same. It was a three-hour tape, and it was an hour of making a Raiders Lost Ark, <laughs> that hour of Star Wars, all recorded off television with the commercials cut out. And that tape did actually break in the end because I, I did watch it so many times. And, um, you know, it was watching the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark long before I actually saw the movie, um, which made me sort of understand what a director did and 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 you know and to see Spielberg's energy and charisma on set and um you know that then sort of led to when I was looking at 
to go to film school. Uh, obviously, it was something I was going to have to self-finance and couldn't afford to go to the Californian or the New York film schools. But um, he actually had a piece on the Today Show where he recommended, um, in terms of learning the nuts and bolts of filmmaking, he recommended the film school that I ended up going to in Florida. So, um, you, you know, he really was the man that, that, that quite literally started it for me, as, as well as a generation of, of filmmakers. I know he's inspired, obviously, um, mm. many that have gone on to do great things, but, <laughs> but, but I'm one of them that's still trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, what was the uh, first Spielberg film you saw at the cinema? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I always look, I mean, I'm, I'm very... I consider myself very fortunate to have a uh, quite a lot, quite a wide eclectic sort of group of, of, of friends from of different ages, from from all sorts of different walks of life. And what what are, some of them are obviously in the business, and others are just film fans. And it's really weird because I find that for my friends that are older than me, you know, the yeah. ones that were kind of born in the '60s or whatever, for them the two sort of seminal. Um, Spielberg films are Jaws and Close Encounters, right? Um, and then I find people in the 70s, sort of our generation, it's usually Raiders and E.T. I mean, it certainly was for me. And then my younger friends that were born in the 80s or whatever, it tends to be Jurassic Park and, and Hook. Oh, unlucky them for that one. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but you, you, you know, um, I mean, obviously, you know, Jaws and, and, and Close Encounters and things, I, I came to... Uh, you, you know, grow massive affection for, but but definitely, um, it was it was kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and ET for me. Um, right. I remember with Close Encounters, I remember I used to get a, a comic, Star Wars Weekly, and yep. they hadn't they always had on the back cover and and an advert for you know a poster for for close encounters of the third kind and i never really quite understood what all that was about if you know what i mean <laughs> so it wasn't until a few years later that i watched that but um but yeah i think uh the actual first one i probably saw in the cinema was et i right. think yes definitely um raiders not for me it was uh indiana jones and the temple of doom mm. Yes, that was the yes, first which... one I saw in the cinema. My, Absolutely. Uh, my cousin Jimmy uh, took me to see it uh, back in '84, and um, yeah, I remember there was an intermission just after they got out of the uh, the room with the spikes. Oh, was there? Oh, wow! Yeah. Well, that was possibly a seventy mil print then that you were watching at the time. Oh, cool. Maybe if there was an intermission, but um, well, it was that. It was at the. Um, well, it's an Odeon now. It might have been like a an ABC or a Canon cinema, but it was in uh, Banbury. So, oh right, maybe, okay, maybe. But, uh, that was the first one I saw in the cinema. Of course, the first ones I saw on TV was uh, Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I remember absolutely the same as you. I I, I remember queuing up. Um, you know, in a line, in a literal blockbuster type line uh, <laughs> to see Temple of Doom. Uh, I remember that being a massive event um, and, uh, you know, hugely enjoyable. Um, so, so yeah, I do, I do remember that. But yes, with, with regards to Jaws and Close Encounters, um, definitely saw those on television. Yeah. Uh, Raiders, I think, was possibly... Uh, a VHS rental initially, and then I saw it on a on the big screen much later on. Um, 
when they sort of had re-releases or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, initially, um, uh, that, in fact, that was the first in our VHS uh, episode we talked about. Raiders yeah. was, was one of the first films to be available on sell-through, as they called it then, where the public could, could buy um, the title. And I remember I got like an ex-rental copy of that uh, for one of my birthdays and, uh, y- you know, um, yes, nearly wore that tape out as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I saw, um, I saw Raiders on VHS. Um, I remember my nan renting it for me. Remember she used to rent me that and she used to rent me, um, oh, uh, Octopussy was the other one as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I kind of remember. Yeah, yeah. Now, Octopussy, again, that was, yeah, that was the first James Bond film that I saw on video. Before mm. that, I had seen them on television uh, yeah. runs, and that was the first. So, that, again, that was kind of a special Bond film for me because it was the, the one where I could watch it and then rewind it and watch it again and then go to bed and then watch it the next morning <laughs> and all this. Uh, and, in fact, as a weird aside, um, you know, you're asking me on that VHS one, what tapes I still had left. And I, yeah. I told you a few, it was funny. I went back to my mum and dad's between <laughs> now and then and curiosity meant that I had to go and have a look. And I'll tell you one that I had, which was really nice. I can't believe I, f- I forgot about this. I actually had the extended edition widescreen of uh, Dances with Wolves that had the extended version of the film on, but it also had, it came in a special box and it had a booklet with it. And it also had the, the CD of John Barry's wonderful Oscar winning score as well. And I've still got that in a sort of pristine set, uh, which I really looked after. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was quite good to go and actually have a dig and see what I had. And I was like, oh wow, I forgot I had that. So yeah. But back to Spielberg, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, a hell of a detour there. Um, no, I was going to say um, the in '98 when I I had done my course and um, I was sort of working on films. Um, uh, Saving Private Ryan was coming out, and right? So at that point, you know, I was sort of really hungry for film knowledge and reading up about everything and uh, I remember going remember going to the cinema and worrying to some sense that because I knew a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that it would ruin the experience and it didn't didn't at all now it's a wonderful again a wonderful yeah. well wonderful wonderfully horrific let's yeah. put it that way um film and a, and a and a you know great telling which let's be honest so many films and tv shows and whatever since have actually uh you know you know um sort of copied that model of of desaturated you know realism and putting you in in the middle of um you know in the middle of the action uh and he kind of he kind of you know did it with that one so yeah, yeah. oh gotcha and i mean he produced two tv series with tom hanks the pacific and uh band of brothers he did indeed, yeah. So, which continued that style of um, of desaturated, uh, handheld, you know, putting you in the middle of, of the battle experience. I mean, I always laugh at people sort of go about how, um, like, saccharine. It's not at all. It's a very hard film. Oh, very much. Yeah, I mean, he, he does have to... I mean, yes, you know, with Spielberg, there often is a... Um, a little bit of schmaltzy sentimentality to uh to, to some of his his work um you know you know that is that is par- apparent and one of his traits but um 
I don't think it's it's necessarily uh, put it this way. It's certainly when you watch things like Saving Private Ryan and certainly Schindler's List, um, he certainly doesn't sort of shy away from the uh, you, you, you know the horrific nature of of, of those events and, and that history and and handles it. I think very very respectfully and but also um, you, you know very. Uh, uh, dramatically, you know, it pulls you in and and, and has a massive impact. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of like you with, with him. I I've always enjoyed his, his his sort of popcorn entertainment. That's what always got me interested in in films and filmmaking in the first place. But at the same time, I I very much appreciate his his more serious work. And and in some respects, he's he's done gone a little bit like Eastwood in so much as. You, you know, earlier in his career, he tended to do these sort of action adventure and 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 sort of lighter films. But um, as he's got older, he's he's sort of moved into doing much more sort of serious and worthy and and important type films, um, which is interesting. I think he has kind of lost his edge when it comes to the popcorn films because if you take, um, well, just a spoiler for you guys, we're not. We we haven't picked any of the Indiana Jones films as our picks, so I want to just sort of talk about the differences between uh, Crystal Skull and the original Indiana Jones trilogy. Mm-hmm. Now, in Crystal Skull, how many people does Indy kill? <laughs> Zero. He doesn't kill anybody. Yeah. In in Raiders, how many people does he kill in that film? A lot. Yeah. He and all three of them, he kills a lot. Yeah. No, and, I have to admit, and, yeah, and that's that was one of the pro- one of the problems with Crystal Skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was one of those those people that went into um, went in to see uh, if Crystal Skull, like you know, uh, a grown up man acting like a ten year old, you know, child, absolutely excited in the line before I went to see it, and uh, coming out kind of. Uh, having having aged 40 years and, and being really depressed um you know it was a little bit like that phantom menace moment almost uh where it, it, it sadly didn't quite live up i mean it had its moments but uh overall yeah it's interesting you call it the indiana jones trilogy um because i kind of I kind of think of it like that as well, um, much the same as I do with with the Die Hard and Lethal Weapon films. It's kind of, um, y- y- you know, that the, there's the sort of holy trilogy of them, and then there's the ones they made afterwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I sort of I, I agree with you on that. I mean, the, the reason why I call it a trilogy is because Last Crusade has a definitive ending, and the problem with Crystal Skull is that it was so many years later. That a lot of the cast had died. Yeah, sadly. And so yeah. it's it was missing those people because that's what made those films. Yeah. So, yeah, it was you know, and also I think um, Indy always dealt with the supernatural, and so to throw in aliens or um, I don't know uh, alternative universe beings as uh, George Lucas would like to call them, uh, was a, a mistake because that's not what Indy was about. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, um, and I think a lot of people, um, y- you know, uh, who, who are film fans that, have, that, 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 you know, are of our sort of generation and whatever are probably in in uh, in agreement on that. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, Raiders is... 
oh god you know people always sort of ask what's your favorite film and I always find that like an impossible question to answer because there's so many for so many different reasons but you, you know I remember once being sort of pushed for a definitive answer and 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 I did actually at the time give Raiders of the Lost Ark as uh, as the one for me because as I said it was it was the one where it all began um and it was kind of in many respects a perfect film right the way through beginning middle and end and uh you know even I mean I love La Doom and I love Last Crusade but e- even those don't quite live up to raiders in in my mind um well no because raiders is this perfect balance of dark and light while temple of doom is very dark and and last crusade is very light so (laughs) yeah yeah no absolutely (laughs) absolutely i mean you you know i mean um last crusade is such good fun and it was so good to you know to have done the indiana jones backstory with river phoenix and of course getting getting sean connery to play uh his dad. I mean, what an absolutely brilliant idea to put James Bond as the father of um, Indiana Jones. I mean, that 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 was just genius. Um, junior, but, Junior, Junior. <laughs> but who's going to save you, Junior? Junior. But, uh, but no, I mean, I mean, you, you know, this was this was the other thing. I remember again, even though I was very young, um, again off the back of comic books and stuff. I, I remember the the advertising around. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark again long before mm. I was able to see it but um, I remember it said you know uh, fr- from the creators of, of Jaws and Star Wars you know comes the ultimate adventure or something or the ultimate hero so, some quote like that and uh, yeah. you, you know I mean it was such a good combination to take um, you, you know George Lucas who who is an absolutely great uh, creator and 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 you know, comes up with great story ideas and things of that nature. But then to put it in the hands of somebody like Spielberg, who, who, um, you know, loved those, they grew up on those B movies and, you know, massively influenced by, you know, both Hitchcock and David Lean and, and, you know, all, and, and bringing all those things together to, to create this and tell this story. And, uh, um, you, you, you know, I, well, I could wax lyrical for forever about that. But I mean, yeah. Spielberg, he really is a master of, of his craft. I mean, he knows his camera, he knows his lenses, you know, he likes to do his one shots, but he's he's really good at the whole storytelling process and getting performances out of his actors. And, and yeah, he, I mean, he, you know, he, he, OK, he, he, you know, we've already touched on the fact sometimes he can be a bit schmaltzy and a bit sentimental, but at the same time um you, you know most of most of his work is pretty pretty flawless and uh, you know and he's a great businessman to boot you know a great producer um and uh, you know some great collaborations going on well indeed i mean it's the one thing he he did was he didn't forget about his friends and he helped a lot of filmmakers you know become the people they are i mean uh he was the executive producer for Robert Zemeckis on his film Used Cars, and of course that That's right. led to, you know, a relationship that led to Back to the Future. I mean, also working with uh, Joe Dante on the Twilight Zone, tw- the Twilight Zone, the movie, led to uh, Stephen coming on board as ex- executive producer of Gremlins. Yeah, yeah, and all that. I mean, I remember that. You know, in the eighties, that was a an amazing time sort of growing up and um 
and and uh, you, you know you know seeing Spielberg's name, you know that Steven Spielberg presents, um, you, you know at, at the at the head of a lot of you know movies out there, and it, it kind of always. You know, it, well, it always made it. It worked. It made me want to go and see those movies. You know, <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was a seal of quality. Yeah, when you saw his name on a poster, you knew you were got, you were in for a good film. Yeah, oh, absolutely. No, it's great. It's great, and uh, yeah, he's you know he's been he's been a huge influence, and uh, you, you know in in you know it, it, working with everyone. Well, you look at you look at the varied amount of work he's done as a producer as well. I mean, everybody from uh, you know Clint Eastwood with some of his films, but e- even with Michael Bay with you know with the Transformers oh, films God, yeah. and things of that nature. I mean, it's not all good, but there you go. <laughs> and then of course, and then of course his theme parks and you know he's he's been very responsible for a lot of um, you know what they've done at Universal Studios uh, over the years with their uh, with their entertainment. Um, and well, yes, because a lot of his films have been turned into rides there. Yeah, yeah. So amazing. And, and I'll be honest, I was um, one of the things. You know, I, I said last year was a really good year for me, and I got to you know do a bit more traveling and uh, you, you know fright fest, and I did the Star Wars, um, you know, Star Wars secret cinema, and I did a load of you know really cool things last year. But one thing that, that almost made my year complete, it was amazing, is. Uh, when we were doing the BAFTA screenings, um, I actually I, I got to be in the in the same room as as Mr. Spielberg because they did a a Bridge of Spies screening, which I was fortunate enough to get one ticket for, and I sat in the second row. And when he came out to do the Q and A, uh, you know, he was about twelve feet away, and I was I was totally geeked out, thinking, Oh my God, you know, this is this is this is one of my heroes right there. And again, he was. He was as enthusiastic as he always is, um, and it was quite nice how how humble he is as well. Because okay, very rich but humble. Um, because uh, he, there was one guy that uh, that got to ask the question or got to say the thing that everybody wanted to say, and and normally these things can be a bit uncomfortable at BAFTA screenings, but this guy had a sort of heavy foreign accent. I don't know where he was from. So he kind of got right. away with it because he made, made everybody sort of laugh slightly, but he basically said, you know, you've been uh, the inspiration for me, Mr. Spielberg, since I was a kid. And the reason I'm working in film now is because of you and all this sort of thing. And he was actually an editor. He got to the point in the end and it was that he was an editor and, <laughs> and he asked about Spielberg and, and editing and, you know, saying how his movies are always so well edited and crafted. And Spielberg turned around and said, well, firstly, he was, you know, very thankful. Mm. Um, of what the guy said and I was kind of like damn I wish I'd said that you know but um but he he, he was actually you know he said look I've, I've got to say most of my career uh, there's been a few exceptions with some of the earlier films but most of his career Michael Kahn had been his um editor yeah. and he said that you know Michael Kahn is 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 responsible for so many of the what looks like great decisions in his films um you, you know he absolutely can't take total credit because he said Michael Kahn is removed from what Spielberg had actually shot on set and brings that objectivity to it and um and, and you know makes some really good choices and then of course you know he also whacked lyrical about 
you know, his his relationship with John Williams and how the wonderful music and yeah, which we all know as well. But um, but it was nice that you know he didn't just sit there and take all the praise himself. He actually, you know, said as we often say about it being, you know, a collaborative medium, and he he was very quick to uh, to to thank you, you know his his support in terms of his usual creative collaborators and of course spoke massively highly of, of Tom Hanks who he's worked with on numerous occasions as well for for his wonderful performance in the film so uh, yeah it was really cool and it was kind of a great way to to end the year really getting to getting to go to a Spielberg q and I was like yes <laughs> right so if you had had a chance to ask Steven Spielberg a question oh at that God. Q&A what would have it been? Just one God, question. I don't, yeah, that's that's. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I would just. I'd have just geeked out. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you, you know, he's he's one of those guys that I've always wanted to work with, and uh, you know, it's it's just. I mean, he he was supposed to do a Q and A once before uh, a few years back for something. I can't even remember what it was. It was a film he produced. It wasn't something he directed. And um, it was when there was a bad snowstorm and it got cancelled like the day before. And I, and I right. was gutted. I was gutted. So I was so glad to get to see him this time. But uh, I don't know. I was I was sort of too scared to ask a question, really. But, uh, yeah, but what, I mean, what would you ask? What, what would I ask? Yeah. Um, well, I'd ask um, what's what is it that about film? that makes him continue to go out there and continue to make it because i mean i mean he has over the years especially early on in his career was treated very badly by the you know like the academy i mean they kind of would ignore the films he'd made even though the amount of money that they made for the industry was huge uh and you know what was it that you know kept driving him on what you know, what was it that he loves about film that just makes him continue to this day to be out there making them? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, the man clearly has a, a an absolute passion mm. for everything that he does. And you're right, for years he was Mr. Blockbuster. And even though, um, you, you know, massively successful, um, not necessarily uh, critically acclaimed. And, and obviously it took a film as... As, as moving as, as Schindler's List to, to finally, uh, you know, put him on that map. But, uh, but you, you, you know, oh, God, I don't know whether I could sum it into one question. He's the kind of guy I'd like to spend a day with and just talk to. <laughs> but, uh, who knows? Maybe one day. Who knows? <laughs> you never know. You never know. Anyway, let's move on um, to our picks for Movie Heaven. So, Keith... What is your pick for Movie Heaven? Okay, well, I mean, the the obvious choice, and we've already said we're not going to do that, would have been Raiders, you know, because as I said, I've already said about how that sort of started me on this journey. Um, But, you know, what what hasn't already been said or written about Raiders that that we don't already know? Um, One of the things, again, I think I mentioned this back in one of our earlier podcasts when we were talking about becoming interested in film, Weirdly, uh, I was actually a fan of Steven Spielberg before I even realized who Steven Spielberg was. And that was because my my dad, um, thank you know, got, again, sadly, I don't remember specifics like 
the exact year or, or exactly how old I was. Um, this was obviously pre-Raiders and stuff, but I was pretty young and dad let me stay up to watch, um, I think ITV, I think it was ITV, it might have been on BBC, but ITV used to run a um, a season of films that they used to call Murder Mystery Suspense. I mean, I'm guessing this was in the early 80s. And uh, they used to just be, you know, television movies and thrillers um, from, well, I, I, I think this was the way I first saw Psycho, in fact, uh, was, was on one of these. And um my dad said, oh, there's there's a film coming on. And, uh, you know, you if you're good, you can you can stay up and watch this. Um, and it was dual or dual or dual, as my American friends say, which uh, <laughs> which was a television mo- movie that he was made made in 1971. But obviously this was, of course, much later yes. that we were watching this. And my dad, my dad, I don't know whether he'd seen it before or whether whether so he sort of if you like uh screened it to make sure it was suitable for for somebody very young to watch um i remember my dad was a big fan of obviously westerns like gunsmoke but also uh there was a i think it was a glenn larson an early glenn larson show called um mcleod which was kind of glenn larson's sort of rip off of of coogan's bluff you know the uh, right, yes. the, the, the eastwood film um, that starred this guy Dennis Weaver, and um, I, I, I'd never seen McLeod, but uh, but I know Dad was a fan of that show, and um, of course this TV movie starred uh, Dennis Weaver, and um, it's essentially uh, you, you know it, it's it's a thriller, uh, a high you know high action thriller about a, um, a like a travelling salesman that. Uh, is trying to get to an appointment and he's he's he has to you know drive on the through the deserts and through the mountains of of california and uh he gets stuck behind a really really grimy nasty uh tanker truck like diesel tanker truck that's you know plummeting out smoke and crap and all sorts of things and he gets stuck behind it and um uh you, you know it ends up turning into this this terrible, terribly sort of scary cat and mouse um, chase between him and this truck driver that you never see. And uh, I remember seeing it as a kid. Uh, I was really drawn in by this and I didn't know why, because it was before I understood a lot of, you know, about filmmaking and techniques and thrillers and all this sort of thing. And um I just remember being completely fixed to the screen, thinking this was absolutely brilliant. I know my, my, my parents really enjoyed it as well. And it wasn't until years later, um, you know, way after I'd seen this uh, making of Raiders of the Lost Ark and starting to find out about Spielberg that I discovered that this was actually his his directorial debut in terms of, of, of feature films um, because it was a uh movie of the week television movie of the week that was um written by richard matheson who uh you know he'd done a lot of twilight zone episodes and the incredible um uh what is it the incredible i want to say melting man shrinking man melting man um and (laughs) yeah the incredible shrinking man Shrinking Man, yeah and and yes he's he was a a writer of of sci-fi novels like um i am legend that's right that's right. Yeah. He, you know, and he did. He did Twilight Zone, and he did The Outer Limits. Exactly, exactly. And and this was uh, 
This was apparently a, a short novella uh, type story that originally appeared in Playboy and um, uh, Universal kind of got the option for this to actually go ahead and make it into a, a, a television movie. And um, at the time, uh, Spielberg was, well, I mean, he was like 22. So, I mean, he was incredibly young. Um, he was working at Universal. He was kind of the working for uh, Sid Sheinberg, who was who was the uh, um, head of the studio at the time. And he had just done uh, the first episode uh, of Columbo. Um, I think it was an episode called Murder by the Book. Mm. And he'd got this call about, you, you know, there was this film um, that, uh, that, that Universal had. And he kind of approached them with a rough cut of Columbo to see whether or not he could, you know, he could be allowed to make this film. Because to him, he read it and thought, wow, this is incredible. He, he, he kind of said it was like um, Psycho on Wheels, <laughs> which, uh, you, you, you know, he saw this as a sort of great opportunity to uh, to, to tell this story. Um, and, you know, he wanted to shoot it on location. He didn't want to do sort of process shots like many of these sort of car chase um type movies etc were done at the time uh, so he wanted to shoot it for real and i think they they, they gave him an opportunity uh where he had 10 de- days to shoot this 73 page script and um you know he made a lot of good choices he he managed to get the the camera car that they used in the film bullet um to 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 you know to shoot some of this stuff and, and give it that kind of uh, incredibly visceral um, realistic movement and uh, uh, you know this 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 ended up being his, his his sort of breakthrough film that that obviously led on to to bigger and better things and as I said the reason I've chosen it is yes it was where it all sort of started for him but also uh, I just remember vividly. Um, first seeing this and the impact it had on me and the excitement that it gave me. I mean, it made my pulse rush and had me on the edge of my seat, even as a little boy, you know, and I just thought that this was, this was incredible. So, um, it was good to, you know, revisit this again, uh, and and watch it. And I still, I still feel the same for it. I, I kind of, I kind of see it as a sort of weird precursor for Jaws, in some respects, which I'm sure we'll come on to. And, um, <laughs> you, you know, obviously, um, you, you know, I, there, there were, there have been parallels in movies that, that have, that have come out since. I mean, I, I think I, I mentioned before on a podcast, I was lucky enough to, um, to shadow director Jonathan Mustow on an episode of from the earth to the moon when I lived out in the States. And, yeah. um, one of the things I got to speak to him, I mean, you say, you know, what questions would you ask? Well, I did actually get to talk to Jonathan Mustow a little bit. And I said to him, I've got to ask, you know, Breakdown, which I thought was a great film. Um, mm. You know, were you influenced by by Spielberg's Jewel? Because, um, you, you know, the, the, the car in Jewel was red for, for reasons Spielberg chose. So it would stand out against the sort of um, earthy toned desert background. Uh, and of course, in in. Um, uh, breakdown the 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 jeep that he's in is bright red um you know the the the, the character dennis weaver plays uh was sort of wearing uh, 
a light blue shirt and beige chinos and Kurt Russell was wearing a light beige shirt, <laughs> you know, and I said, and he, and he said, yeah, absolutely. There, there is, you, you know, there is influence there, even if it was subconscious. And then of course, another film I really liked was, was Joyride, which, um, uh, incidentally, um, JJ Abrahams actually wrote the script to, and, uh, you, you know, the, the, the truck in that is very inspired by the, the, the type of truck he chose for Jewel, which had the sort of long bonnet and almost like a grill forming a face, like a sort of evil face at the beginning, rather than one of your sort of flush uh, fronted type type trucks. So, you, you know, there's, there's definitely been a lot of, um, I feel, influence uh, with this movie, with, with, with filmmakers, even though it's not necessarily widely publicised that way. Um, well, I'm just, I think... Uh, and I'm not sure, but I know that um, you're correct. This was made as a TV movie, and Universal liked it so much that they actually gave it a theatrical run. That's right. And I would think that it got a theatrical run over here, especially the fact that we used to get theatrical runs of TV pilots over here. So stuff like The Incredible Hulk, uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century... And oh, there's another one I remember there being. Well, Battlestar Galactica got. Oh, Battlestar Galactica, yes, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean that was very vogue to do, and um, I'm sure. I mean, obviously, watching it on television, uh, it would have been the theatrical version, and the reason being is uh, he always said that it had to be extended for for overseas release um, because. You know, he obviously had it as a 73 minute film um, to fit into a 90 minute schedule on television. Mm. But it had to be 90 minutes in order to um, get a, a theatrical or TV release overseas. So, no, he actually went and refilmed um, some bits for the TV, for, for the theatrical version, which um, was the bit where he's stuck at the train track and the truck tries to pull him into the oncoming train that was filmed, oh, okay that was filmed afterwards um to, to pad it out and also the introduction where you see the car from the point of view of the bonnet of the car driving through la and then leaving the city and going through bakersfield and going out into the sticks that was added wow because um those those bits really um they seem seamless. They really, they don't stand out at all. That's right. No, they do. I mean, um... I mean, they're, they're great additions to the film. I mean, I do love the the credit sequence where the the camera is attached to the hood of the car, and you see it reverse out of the garage and then head out onto the streets. And for most of that, you just you're seeing it from the driver's point of view as the traffic gets less and less and less and he's getting further and further away from civilization where until you finally see the car out in the desert that's right no that's right and uh, those those were the things that like you said very seamlessly but those were the mm. things he had to add um and, and go back and reshoot um which as i said it, it works and the the theatrical version is 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 great one of the things that did also happen and this is kind of interesting um obviously we had we were very lucky to have uh kenneth johnson uh the tv producer director as a guest on one of our episodes but 
only had him for an hour, so weren't yeah. able to ask him absolutely everything that we wanted to cover. But um, one area that's probably not not the best thing was uh, they did actually use at the, at the time Universal that had a lot of these action movie properties would use uh, footage, action footage to actually put into their TV shows to make their TV shows appear like they had, you know, a greater budget and whatever. And they sort oh, of write right, yeah. and do this. Uh, I remember one of the ones they did, uh, the four guy, which starred Lee majors. Yes. I, I remember oh, God, there was, yes, I remember they used a lot. Didn't they, they used an effort They They used Capricorn one, the film Capricorn one in, in, in one uh, episode for, for all of the action scene. And then they sort of cut to close ups of, Lee Majors wearing a jumpsuit and all this sort of thing. But what they actually did, Kenny Johnson, um, in the first season uh, of the Incredible Hulk TV series, which I love, but I have to say this is definitely one of the weaker episodes, um, Mm. he'd written an episode called uh, Never Give a Trucker an Even Break. And what they'd done is they'd used footage from Duel and they'd actually... um, intercut it with with scenes of you know you know bill bixby kind of dressed similar to, to to how dennis weaver was and then they'd have you know the bit when the car crashes through the 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 um the fence or the bit when the truck drives you know through the snakes and things of that nature you know they'd cut to bill bixby in the desert hulking out and uh you, you know you know running after the truck and things of this nature <laughs> so um i know it, it was something that that spielberg was very upset about and understandably right. and apparently beyond that he had in his contract uh moving forward that universal could never use any of his film footage in any of their television shows so um right, duel yeah. was the one that that did that and i feel sad because obviously i love the Incredible Hulk, and I love Kenny Johnson and his work, but uh, but yeah, this is the one uh, controversy, I guess, that uh, didn't get to speak to him about. But uh, but it is famous for the Hulk, as I said, taking some of this footage and incorporating it into an episode. Yeah, but you're talking about the 70s where TV budgets were very low oh, in comparison to film budgets. Yeah, and they had to do everything in their power to to you know to create those those episodes i mean look at battlestar galactica i mean every episode they use the same effect shots from the pilot oh that's right yeah they had every cylon with... ship that gets destroyed you know was always destroyed in the same way yeah you always see the same viper flying through the um you know the fire cloud afterwards yeah but like i always used to say to people that sort of you know i've got a soft spot for galactica yeah. and people who always used to say that i used to say yes but the effects in the first place were amazing they were it's just that they overused them but yeah they did it well no it it wasn't that it was the fact that they didn't have any money because lucas sued them that's right yeah that's right and uh, then got counter sued because of uh silent running but uh yeah no so hence why we only got one series of it before they made that disastrous galactica 1980 I know, which we, well, the less said about that, the better, definitely. And, uh, but they, 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 did, they did it with all shows, even even shows yeah. like Airwolf always had the same sort of heli- helicopter oh, God, attacks yes. and inserts and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, Jewel isn't flawless. Uh, there are a few mistakes in it. Um, one of them, which always kind of made me laugh, was uh, when Dennis Weaver's making the phone call in the 
phone box. Um, yes. You nice. actually see Spielberg reflected in the a young Spielberg, a 22-year-old Spielberg, reflected in the phone booth checking the script and whatever. And it's like, wow, how did they make that mistake? But, you know, these things happen. Quite easily. I mean, a 10-day schedule. Ugh. 10 days schedule. Well, I think he I went mean, two days over. I think he did right. it in 12. Okay, but, uh, 12 yeah, days. That's still good. amazing. I mean, my, oh, incredible. Feature, my feature, we didn't shoot. We had more time. Yeah. We did it in 18 days. Yeah. Plus one day of uh, uh, of shooting extra footage. Oh, no, he's a genius. I mean, you think this is a, a when you look at the amount of action and the amount of coverage mm. that's in this film, um, even before they you know, added the extended bits for the theatrical. I mean, it's incredible. Um, yeah. And of course, he, he obviously does, um, he has self-referenced this in a few other movies, like, for example, The Snake Lady, um, he ended up using in 1941, uh, sort of yeah. playing the same part. And also, you know, he always says this is a little bit of a self-reference, but uh, what he did is he played a lot with sound design on this, um, which, as we know, is all part of, you know, the filmmaking process. It's as much what you hear as what you see. And um, yeah. he did a, uh, a dinosaur roar uh, as the sound of the truck when it's when it's going over the cliff. And apparently he used that same roar he in did. Jaws when when did when indeed, yeah. uh, Bruce or sorry, when the shark <laughs> gets oh, you're, allowed to, you're allowed to call him Bruce. No, no. When uh, the shark, every every shark. <laughs> In Jaws, in all four Jaws films have been called Bruce. That's right, because that was the name of his, his lawyer or whatever, That's wasn't right. it? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. my, my one and only nitpick about Duel, having revisited it and rewatched it, um, you know, I think it is a pretty flawless film all round, really. But one of the things I think, and may, may, maybe it's the sensibility of today as opposed to when this was made, you know, in, in the early 70s, is... The voiceover, now watching it, I don't think is necessary. I think the scene would have as much tension and work as well without the voiceover, if you know. And that's yeah. the scene where he obviously, after he's after he's had this sort of altercation with this this truck driver and he hasn't seen him, all he's seen is that he's wearing cowboy boots, which is genius. But that came right from Matheson's script, apparently. Um you know, he, 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 he gets run off the road and he goes into a, a, a bar to sort of freshen up and whatever. And when he comes out, the bar is sort of filled with with um, men wearing brown cowboy boots. And he suddenly sort of and the truck is parked outside. Yeah, the truck is and, parked and outside. It, That's the first the thing reveal. Yeah, sorry. Then, the, yeah, yeah the, you yeah. see the truck. It's a wonderful sort of tracking shot with him right the way yeah. from the bathroom, right the way out. And then you he goes up to the window and the truck's there. And it's like, oh, my God. And then he looks around and absolutely there's all these guys in the bar kind of giving him the the evil eye because, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a sort of suit from out of town and they're all like cowboy country types. And uh, they're all wearing the boots and there's this awful bit where the, where he's there like sort of freaking out, as you would, as, as an every man would, I feel, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they they do it with a, a a Dennis Weaver voiceover, which he does really well. But uh, mm. looking looking yeah. back on it, I was like, oh, it would kind of work without that, I think. And yeah, I mean, uh, what about the voiceover when he's in the car? Because there's a bit of voiceover in. Uh, 
There is, um, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's bits where he talks to himself, which is fair enough because we all do yeah. that. But yeah, you're yeah. right. There are some voicey bits, which yeah, again, don't don't. Yeah, you know, it's being massively nitpicky, but um, yeah, may, maybe maybe they're not uh, maybe they're not necessary. But you know, Dennis Weaver in this, I mean, uh, Spielberg wanted him because of his wonderful performance in Touch of Evil, and. Um, you know that that was why sort of Spielberg was a, was a was a fan of him and mm. um, wanted to use him. And I I think you know he he does such a good job of being that sort of uh, every man thrown into the extraordinary circumstances. You know, a bit bit like Kurt Russell does in 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 Breakdown. You know, it's uh, yeah. um, you really kind of feel for the guy and and you're you're totally with him. You know, one hundred percent with him um, throughout. So. So, yeah, so if anybody's listening to this that, that hasn't seen Duel, and it's funny, I find that quite a lot of people haven't seen this film just because, you know, it's it's not one of the, the Spielberg really well-known ones. And it is, you can get it on, on it is available on, on DVD and, and also Blu-ray now, I think. Um, mm. uh, you, you know, I highly recommend it. And I I know it gets shown on television from time to time. And uh you know, I really thank my parents for letting me stay up as a as a child and not, you know, not go to bed at the usual time uh, to, to see this wonderful film. And I think it's great to this day. I love it. Before we leave, Jewel, I just wondered what your theory is, is on the truck and the truck driver. Is it a case of was it just road rage or is it a case of this is a guy who roams the uh, the the roads of the deserts looking for prey well there's there's sort of two theories isn't there one is no, I mean, but i mean well, what's your theory well, uh, the, the 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 if you look at the truck part of the design they did on the truck is that he's got um number plates from all sorts of different counties across the the u.s um attached to his truck so i always mm-hmm. kind of like the idea that this guy you, you know is kind of a a, a, an evil warrior or whatever that goes around and, and, and plays this game across the, the, the States, you know, and, and tries to get his prey. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like to look at it that way. I mean, maybe that's the, the sort of dark side of me, but, but absolutely it could be seen as a simple case of road rage back in the days when road rage wasn't really known. Right. Cause that's right. You know, well, not, not sort of spoken about. I mean, people, Drivers have been getting pissed off at other drivers for years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, road rage didn't get come into the general conscious until like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What's I mean, your theory? I, What's your theory? Well, my theory is the same as yours, that he is that he is uh, a predator stalking these roads looking for prey. And I did notice watching it this time the number plates at the beginning, and they are like a, a tally. Hmm aren't they yeah yeah it's like having score points on the uh, on a on the side of a yeah um yeah but it's played in it but it's played in a way that it 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 could play as being road rage as well yeah i think it's ambiguous enough that it could be because he the the only parts of the driver you ever see is his boots and his hands because um originally doesn't uh weaver he waves him pie, doesn't he? That's right. Into into oncoming traffic. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not not the not the driver of the truck. I'm talking about Dennis Weaver's oh, character. Oh, I see. Yes, he, he does. He waves him to overtake him, doesn't he? I think Which so, he does, yeah. and then he slows down straight in front of him. Yeah. 
uh, and sort of near the end when he's in that final chase, you see the you see the driver waving him in front. Remember? Yeah, no, absolutely. That I bit mean... where he's sitting in wait for him. He thought, I'm, I'm going to sit here for an hour, and I'm going to wait him out because obviously he's going to get bored. He wants to drive on. Yeah. And of course, that's a, that reveal where you see him just sitting there waiting. Yeah, I always found it very eerie. Um, you know, as a kid, you know, the fact that you didn't see the, the who the driver was and that's yeah. the mystery. I always found that very eerie. Um, but also, you know, <clears throat> the fact that uh, in terms of the coverage Spielberg got to sort of build the tension as it went on, I mean, particularly towards the end when the car's going uphill and it's overheating and you've got the, you, you, you know, the, 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 the uh, warning lights coming on on the dash and all this sort of thing and the the speedos dropping and all, all that stuff. And I remember, you know, de definitely when I made um, my first film overpass, which we've talked about um, in terms of a lot of the car inserts that I was getting, I was making sure that I had those kind of things, you know, because, mm. um, <clears throat> you know, this told that story so well and built that tension and gave you that sense of, of speed and things of that nature. So, um, yeah. Uh, you, you, you know, I could wax lyrical all night about this one. I really could. It's great. And as I said, it, I just thought it would be a change rather than talking about the the obvious one, which would have been Raiders. But um, yeah, but I love this film. No, it's it's a it's a great film. I I really enjoy it as well. And it's uh, it was great to to come, go and revisit it again. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, moving on. Um, <laughs> My pick uh, for Movie Heaven is, if anybody knows me very well, they'll <laughs> know what it is, <laughs> which is Jaws. Yay. Now, I first saw Jaws um, when I was a kid on TV, and it was definitely on ITV because it was commercial breaks and stuff, and they would show it in the evening. And it did it did scare the, scare the shit out of me. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I was scared of everything, and yet... <laughs> I'd seen some of some some of the scariest films <laughs> by the time I was ten, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely crazy. No, I I I agree. I mean, I it, this was another one that yes, it was definitely it was definitely television um, that yeah. I saw it on. Uh, you know, again, as always with Mum and Dad, which you know it was great that they used to love to watch movies. Amazing, um, but I seem to remember that very close, like the following week um i saw jaws 2 and mm, i don't know yes. whether that was because the television was doing like maybe it did sort of like one week jaws then jaws 2 then jaws 3 or something as a, as a sort of or whether we watched jaws on television and then dad got jaws 2 and 3 on on vhs or something i'm not too sure but i definitely saw them kind of back to back i i do remember <laughs> that itv at one point showed those two films in concurrent weeks right so and they tend to do that they tended to show jaws and jaws 2 together right uh jaws 3 and jaws the revenge not so much uh, well less said about them, not so the better much. eh? <laughs> yeah saying that i saw jaws 2 again recently and it's a very good sequel it is yeah and there's some really great moments in that yeah jeno swartz there you go another s <laughs> but uh yeah he he um yeah. uh yeah it, it's it's it, it as far as sequels go um 
obviously, you know, Jaws, Jaws works totally as a standalone film. But, uh, yes. you know, there are probably people hissing now at the podcast if they're listening. But uh, if we say Jaws 2 wasn't that bad, but it, it wasn't that bad. No, I, 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 there's, there's none of that. I think if we were saying Jaws the Revenge was a good film, I think people would be hissing. Yeah. But I think people have a, a real fondness for Jaws 2 and Jaws 3 or Jaws 3D. Uh, but Jaws the Revenge was just, you know, it was a mess. Oh, so the crazy idea that, uh, you know, uh, that Mrs. Brody has a psychic connection to the shark. <laughs> yeah, how stupid And also that? remembers things that she couldn't possibly have known that happened in the first one. I mean, she's there and she remembers Roy Schneider's character saying smile you son of a bitch yeah exactly and she wasn't there how could she know that unless he, he kind exactly. of told her afterwards or something but yeah no it's madness but i mean <laughs> no, it, it's total madness and and i remember um the third one i didn't actually i saw that on on i think on vhs but it wasn't it wasn't in 3d it was just 2d even though i've never i've never seen it in 3d either yeah. uh, it probably make it a bit better but <laughs> it, that's fun i mean oh that, uh, great story um uh, when i went to orlando for um uh for this uh, horror convention there uh spooky empire they had jason muse there and um the hotel had a swimming pool and they actually showed jaws free in the swimming pool oh wow okay so you could float there and watch it I, mean, I got there too late but i i heard this from other people and uh jason muse was watching it really into it and then so when the shark explodes he punches his hand up in the air and then when he saw the dolphins jumping up, he started doing the old rock sing, sing, <laughs> symbol with his hand. I was just, oh, man, I wish I could have seen that. Because <laughs> it, it was one of those things where I was at the bar when it started, but I was so um, jet lagged that I went to bed. Right. I made some really good friends when I was over there and we'd always go, um, you know, uh, dolphin punch <laughs> in honor of Jason Muse with you know punching his hand up in celebration for the uh, dolphin surviving Jaws 3D. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, love it. I like that. Yeah. Uh, cool. But well, for those who don't know the story of Jaws, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure there's not many. Uh, it is about um, a shark that um decides to um terrorize or um to feed off the local inhabitants of uh of this island uh and um chief brody is joined by um hooper and quint to uh to destroy the shark and it's it's a it's a film of two halves it's um it's one of these films that as a as a screenwriter you can sort of analyze really well because you 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 have your beginning so you have the first attack by the shark and then um and then the sort of the and then you have the kitna kid die and then it be, and then you have the, the beginning of the second act is when uh hooper gets there and they prove that it is an actual shark and that they're trying to convince people that they shouldn't go swimming but of course, the the mayor, played by Murray Hamilton, 
um, who who wears the best jacket. <laughs> I, I yes. just want a jacket with anchors on it. Yeah, you know? no, that's brilliant. That is, that's, um, a, that's an inspired piece of costume picking it, right it, there. It was it? indeed. <laughs> and um, he, you know, he doesn't want to hear about it because it's the summer season and they don't want to lose s- summer money. And then the, the the middle shot is when you have that final shark attack at the beach, where where um, which is, I mean the the bit where the the guy in the boat gets attacked is very vicious, and it was actually cut to get a PG rating, mm-hmm. and it's still, it's still quite horrific. Yeah. How this film ever got a PG, I don't know. I mean, it's now rated twelve. Yes. If you buy it from the shops. So, so the middle shot is the shot of looking out to sea after that shark attack. And then the the rest, and then the beginning of the third act is the last hour with Brody, Hooper, Quint out on sea chasing the shark. Which is amazing. I love that. Yeah. I love that part yeah. of the, well, I mean, I love the whole film, but I particularly love that part of the film. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's it, it does a, ma- a great job of setting everything up. So it sets up this, you know, this monster that's out there ready to strike and you never know. You sets up the, the main characters. You know that um, Brody is, you know, he's the chief of the, of the island. He, he feels responsible for everything, even though he knows what the right thing is to do but he's convinced not to do it originally. And then he still does everything in his power to try and convince others that the threat is still out there, where they don't want to believe it. You know, they they feel their livelihoods are threatened if they close the beaches. And hence why they sort of, you know, they, they, they rather want to believe that the the threat has been taken care of that that tiger shark that was caught is actually was the real predator and not this massive great white then you have uh hooper who is um he he is the voice of reason he's the um the expert that's come to this island to say you know to explain that this shark is a is a killing machine and it's just not going to go away and uh you know he's backing up uh brody you know that's why they their relationship is really you know they connect quite quickly and it's quite believable that um you know that they're they're, they're friends and that off at the end of the film when they they swim off together you're very happy to see that they both survived and then you have quint who's his old sharker who you know for for reasons that we find out later in the film um you know he hates sharks and he's making he's made a living of killing sharks and uh he is the sort of ahab of the story he is the the man who's driven by um i guess by madness to you know to 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 pursue this shark uh, the jaws is like the white whale the moby dick of uh, of sharks and uh, he's he wants to you know face it and and destroy it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, and and you know those three characters, those three key characters, 
wonderfully played by uh, you know Roy Schneider, Richard Dreyfus, and, and Robert Shaw. Um, you, you know they they really work in those roles, and they're very they're very believable in the in the in, in if you like the the banter that they have amongst mm. themselves is 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 really kind of fun and and, and works and and it's funny because it's it's one of those again it's one of those um uh you know setups that have that has been sort of um you know copied by other filmmakers other filmmakers have been inspired by this like like the uh the the bit where they're comparing um the injuries yeah yes, uh you know that, yeah. that that that's been done twice that was done in you know lethal weapon three with richard donner <laughs> yes. you know they, they they were doing that yeah. and then obviously kevin smith another s kevin smith uh did it in in chasing amy which is which is a great scene in that film but but you know they're, um they're i disagree with you i disagree with you i went back and watched chasing amy recently and i thought it dated terribly and i thought that scene had dated really badly really okay i, I have yes. to say chasing amy's my favorite kevin smith film um maybe i've just got good I, it used to it. be it <laughs> used to be but it's the the problem is it's sexual politics are very stuck in the 90s oh yeah they do yeah. not ring true at all now and it's it's very i mean at the time i you know i was a massive fan of kevin smith and I was, I was, it, was, it doesn't, it hasn't sort of survived. It's, it's, it has dated itself really badly, which is a shame. Mm. But yet, Clark's is still, I still enjoy. Yeah, no, it's a good film. You know, and it's, it's funny. You would thought that Clark's would be the film that uh, would have got dated, but uh, it seems Chasing Amy is, uh, is, has been. So, but yes, the, the Indianapolis scene <laughs> has been aped so many times. I remember when they did a similar scene in um, Dog Soldiers, which was near the beginning, where you had Sean Pertwee doing a similar, talking about a similar story. Uh-huh. And also, I remember there was it was very there was a scene very similar to it in Deep Blue Sea. Right. They they were very inspired by the Jaws Jaws films anyway. It, it being a shark film yes but, yeah. <laughs> um, the 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 deaths of the sharks in deep blue sea each one die the same way that the sharks die in the jaws series ah so the first one explodes the second one is electrocuted and the third one explodes as well. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I haven't seen that film in a while, actually. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. I I I was working at a cinema when that came out. It's it's fun. I mean, it's um, but it, it doesn't have the repeat value that Jaws does. And also, the Indianapolis scene has never been bettered. And that's because it is based off a you know a real event. Yes. But you have Robert Shaw. Just the, the performance is... It, it, you just can't turn your eyes away. It's great. Uh, yeah, even though I, John... I, I, always chuck, I always chuckle when he says bomb, though. Because he goes, and we delivered the bomb. Bomb. Because yeah, <laughs> he, well, he always calls it like bum. Yeah, well, <laughs> because apparently um, 
John Milius had, had, had scripted some of that. And then um, yes. Robert Shaw actually, you know, he kind of rewrote it again. I know Spielberg always gives Robert Shaw the credit for that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, um, what the story was, and this is on the the making of documentary, was that um, John Milius had uh, that Spielberg felt that it should have been a bigger speech, and one of the original writers, whose name I can't remember because he's not credited, but he is the one who broke the back of the scripts. He just left it as a paragraph. He thought that less was more. And so he did go to Milius, and Milius wrote a massive speech. And uh, Robert Shaw said, well, this is fine for John Houston. John Houston could deliver this speech, but I don't think I can. Not it the way I would do it. So oh, that's right. He, it was Howard Sackler, wasn't it? I think that's that, it. Had, that had yeah. contributed to, to that work. And then, yeah. And then, yeah. Milius did his pass and then yeah absolutely um yeah so Robert Shaw wrote it he rewrote it in a way that he could tell it and it is you that scene you just cannot you know you you once that it starts once they get into it because they the the whole comparing the scars scene is is this a lovely way of bringing it because it's it's a it's a joyful scene you're you're enjoying it because you know up to this point um Hooper and Quint have been at loggers, loggerheads with each other, you know. The whole, you know, Robert Shaw's a working man, while Hooper comes from money, and yeah. it's like a battle of classes. And they, there's sort of this sort of one-upmanship between the two of them. They can't really see eye to eye, but this one sort of bonding moment where they're comparing scars is is great. And then just lead, you know, and Brody, who's kind of been left out. I mean, I do love the bit when he lifts his shirt up and. He looks at his um, appendix card and decides not to to, to say anything because, you know, it's not manly enough. But he asks about the scar on his arm and that just leads into the story. And it is it's magnificent and it's a great piece of writing and it's a great performance. And it's shot so well because Spielberg just lets the scene happen in minimum shots Mm. and the performance just plays out and it's you just cannot keep your eyes off it it's great i mean richard dreyfus says in the making of documentary that you know those reaction shots they got were real because they were both of them were transfixed by that performance yeah well i mean this is this is one of one of spielberg's skills is the man definitely knows when to keep a shot wide and when to go in for an extreme close-up you know he he, he he's very um selective with his with his blocking and 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 how he does stuff like that i mean again that jaws is a great example the 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 scene on the uh on the ferry um near the beginning i mean when you think about that he goes from because you've got the background perspective moving the whole time with the journey but he goes essentially from the the wide shot and then he has them sort of walk into their close-ups which uh it's amazing when you look at that. It's like uh, it's it's all blocking. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a trick that Spielberg has used, um, you know, from that film onwards. Yeah, I mean, he he very much loves using his um, what people refer to as oneers, one shots, and he will move the actors around so that the shot will change, so there isn't a cut. But you're getting a wide shot that leads into a close-up or a medium shot, 
Yeah. And it's just through the blocking. And it's it's really skillfully done because you don't notice it. No, you don't. It, it appears to be very natural. Yeah, no, it always yeah. serves the story. And you're right, you don't, it doesn't, it's not showy. It doesn't draw attention to itself. But when you go back and study it, you realize, oh, that's actually really good. You know, so um, no, I agree entirely. Well, the other thing as well is that um, because the shark wasn't working, <laughs> You know, there's no fact that they they had a lot of problems because they were filming on the sea, and you know, seawater and mechanics just you know they're just two things that just don't gel very well. I mean, look at what happened with Waterworld. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, yeah. I mean that became uh, they had to pour so much money into it because of the problems they had filming on the sea. I mean, they had the the main set sink several times on them. And so the amount of money that costs them just to bring that back up, you know, yeah. to recover is it was a hell of a lot. Poor old Costner. I liked I liked what he was trying, but uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, the thing is, though, poor old Spielberg, because you know what was going to be, I guess, you know, an eight week shoot turned into I don't know. I think it was it was months, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is one of those I know we've discussed before some of these films mm. where from a production standpoint they can be like a bit of a nightmare but the, the the film could end up being like a masterpiece and and this this is definitely a a prime example of that isn't it it was it well was... that brings me to my point because the point is is that because they had time in between sh- shooting that they were able to go over the material and work on it if they didn't have that time i don't think we would have had the indianapolis scene be so good you wouldn't have had the actors bonding so well and you know they were able to bring their own stuff i mean the scene with brody and his youngest son mm-hmm. the bit where he's mimicking him at the table yeah that wasn't in the script that was a case of that um uh, roy schneider was just doing this at the table and the little kid was copying him and he brought spielberg over and he said look watch this and yeah. he did all these movements and the kid just copied them and he said you know this would be great for a scene and spielberg went yes and it's you know, it, it's one of those moments that, you know, everybody remembers from the film. Yeah. No, so it's a wonderfully um, naturalistic uh, scene and really works. Um, you know, I mean, I, with this one, I, I recently, well, I say recently, in, in recent years, I actually um, treated myself to the sort of all singing or dancing Blu-ray a- edition of this, which had the... It's got the uh, Laurent Bozero two-hour sort of making of documentary, and it's also got the the shark still working uh, documentary, and it was quite good because I actually got it as a um, quite rare uh, a digi book. So uh, the the, uh. the the actual cover of of the Blu-ray uh, is like a sort of forty-seven page booklet as well. In fact, I've got three. I've got that. I've got the original King Kong. I've got Interstellar and I've got The Exorcist all in these like digibook type um, yeah, type yeah. things. But no, uh, but, you, you know, the the amount of material that there is, I mean, if anybody wants to study this film, um, there is between uh, what's online and what's available on DVD and what's what, what's available in print. Um, you know, like the Jaws log, I know people like Soderbergh and Brian Singer and whatever, they, they they pretty much use that as their filmmaking bible <laughs> and, and uh you, you know there is so much information out there about this which is uh 
readily available which i think is amazing you know that you can get all this stuff is great oh yeah <laughs> i mean i have to um i mean we we talked before the podcast about um the um the the, the shark is still working documentary and uh, as much as that is a good documentary i don't think it's as great as the uh the making of which um is you know which has been ported from the laser disc onto the dvd onto the blu-ray yeah and it's a, it's just it's such a great story about how the film gets made yeah well it's longer than the film <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> Well, no, actually, it's two hours, and the f- Jaws is about two hours, three minutes. Oh, okay. Well, so Jaws has still got the, the nose on it. Yeah, just as long as the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's it's one of those films that at the end you sit there and you watch those end credits. <laughs> I watch them every time. I mean, thankfully they're short and they're playing on top of, you know, uh, of an image. But uh, you you do you kind of you kind of have to sit there and go. Phew, because it is—it's an intense experience. Even if you've seen it so many times, it's—it's uh, it's a very intense experience. Mm. Well, that—that that last, I mean, like the last fifteen minutes of the film um, mm. is just so, so tense, and again, so edge of your seat. I mean, it's—it's it's like that. Well, the same—the same thing we were talking about with Duel. Um, It's—it's—it it, it's, it really works, and and just it absolutely has you. Um, during that uh i mean i remember with, with the tv screenings when i was a kid um the thing that always made me jump was with and i know it's the sort of thing he went back and, and reshot was the um the, the 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 head coming out of the hull of the boat you know um exactly scene. i tell you oh. what i i i was around some friends um and we were watching this on blu-ray and we were people had seen it and there was a few people who jumped at that and it was it's it, it still gets people yeah it's still a great jump and it's just the timing of it is just it's perfect in the documentary he was saying that originally people would get a massive scare out of you know uh rob schneider schneider you know he's he's scrub you know, he's, he's throwing the 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 blood and the guts out and uh he's going yeah you come down here and you know throw some of this shit and of course the shark comes out and it used to get a big big shock but because he he said he was greedy for scares he went back reshot that the head coming out and the thing was people didn't jump so much the second time because he got them to such a point that they were convinced the shark was everywhere yeah yeah and i tell you what i'd, I'd just to say there's there's a moment in jaws 2 which was exactly like that and i thought worked really well it was the bit where um chief brody pulls up and he sees um a bit of the boat that was that exploded near the beginning floating in the sea and you can just sort of the point of view is actually from the water looking up at him and you swear to god that the shark is there and it's going to get him Mm-hmm. and it's such a tense scene it really is yeah and um i i have to say that's what i say jaws 2 is actually you know it's a very good sequel to it i mean not the same level as the original because you don't have well for a start richard dreyfus didn't come back and so you only had but you had a lot of the original cast mm-hmm. and um the idea of you know the the sailing boats being 
chase was actually a very good idea and uh, and i think you know it, it equally works as as well as the the first one for for scariness yeah i mean i need to revisit it i, I haven't i'll be honest i have not seen that in in some years to be fair um so i know i used to have it again we talk about our love of vhs <laughs> i remember that the, the first two jaws films were available from uh cic video which was kind of universal and paramount's video arm and they they were in That's matching right. that they, they both had this sort of sea blue uh cover and they were in matching spines and i remember i always had them they're always in my collection jaws one and two yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course the the, the the tagline's amazing just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water i mean that's brilliant isn't it that's that's yeah. genius yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, it's but the the original is is a great film, and uh, I mean, I am wearing the t shirt right now. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> well, we're doing this, so good for you, good for you. I'm, I'm liking it. it. So no, that's 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 really cool. I'm really glad you picked it because because it, it is it is one of his films that is um, you know a masterpiece and 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 deserves to be talked about. So um, I'm glad we got the opportunity on that one. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I mean, the thing is, uh, the the difficult thing with Spielberg is. There's a lot of films we could have talked about. Oh God! Movie heaven. Yeah, loads. A lot of films. Yeah, loads. It's I what mean, do you I pick? could have quite happily spoken about Saving Private Ryan. I could have easily talked about any of the um, Indiana Jones trilogy films. The list goes on. We could have talked about Schindler's List. Yeah. yeah. No, it's hard. I mean, it, it's interesting. You know, we've kind of picked these more sort of. Um, you know, popcorny type films, as we put it. But uh, but but you know, I look at it. The, these there's there's so much out there uh, written and and said about um, Spielberg that that I, I I always think, particularly with things like these, you've just got to make them. Uh, uh, we have to make our podcast personal about what it is to mm. us, and and you know, it, it, it is his movies that were those. Um, blockbuster popcorn entertainment movies that he did that that were the things that inspired me and 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 made me want to become a filmmaker so you know i've got to talk about those really <laughs> oh indeed and it's the same here i mean uh, i grew up with his films and it's one of those things that you know makes me want to be a filmmaker when i look back at at the films he's made that uh, you know those were the, the they were part of my childhood massive part of my childhood yeah Oh, indeed. Anyway, well, uh, join us after the break where we move on to our movie hells. What's the matter, Jane? It's kind of hard to explain. I can't put my finger on it, but there's definitely something wrong. Jane? I suppose we can't expect her to get over it just like that. It will be past this. It's so, so bright. Always oh, so bright in here. It's just the dawn, Jane. You have to take her to the hospital. Have her placed under constant watch. Well, that much I know, but who done it? You don't even try and stop. Someone has to die. 
Garden Roses. Available now on Amazon.com on DVD and video on demand. Kane, the Stone Cold Assassin. Three men, Corbin Taylor, Zeke Jones and Jesse Williams were held for questioning by Marshall Gazer. His revenge will be swift. Ain't you the law around here, Sheriff? Nowhere to run. No place to hide. Jesse, you ever meet Kane? The new violent and bloody horror short from director Mike Tank. Red Wolf Pines. Is that what you told Luke? He died like the dog he was. Starring Keith Irons as Kane. That bastard ain't gonna find us out here. Available on YouTube and official website www.apocalypticconservatory.com Red Wolf Pines Rated R for Rowdy Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Do you like things to be rigorously or rather obsessively alphabetized? Then do we have the show for you the A to Z of SFF takes a wry, lightly fictionalised approach to the compulsive breaking over of pop culture artefacts that make up so much of today's podcastosphere. We cover everything from Aaron A. Aardvark to Zardoz, and all points in between. Zardoz might be a welcoming mind. We've been at this for a year and we haven't finished the A's yet. The A to Z of SFF, a podcast of epic triviality. Two men... 26 letters, one universe. Search for us on iTunes or your favourite podcast app as the A to Z of SFF. Or check out our website, the A to Z of SFF.com. So, Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? So, we're, we're back from movie heaven, trailers, movie hell. <laughs> um, no, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so. Movie Hell, really hard to pick for Spielberg um, because I love so much of his stuff. Uh, you know, there, there, there's, I guess, some obvious things like some people think, you know, maybe 1941, which, you know, he doesn't like much himself. And obviously there's, there's we've already talked about Indiana Jones and the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and, and, you know, Hook wasn't a great film. And there's there's all these ones. But again, I've made it a bit personal. Um I have chosen to talk about, and it's it's loaded, I'm afraid, but I've I've chosen to talk about the Lost World or the Lost World colon Jurassic Park, uh, which he made in 1997. And uh, reason I picked this is I've got to be honest. Um, I was very disappointed when I saw it um, because I have a massive. Um, amount of love for the original film in fact it's funny you say about a jaws t-shirt uh while yeah. i'm sat here uh on my desk <laughs> which i've had now oh my god 23 years or whatever it's been yeah uh i have a mug on my desk uh that i use kind of as a pen and pencil pot nowadays uh, rather than for tea and coffee um but it is the jurassic park mug which again i know we talked on the on the ghostbusters one about how the the logo had become an icon and and, and whatever yeah. i mean again in terms of clever marketing you know jurassic park was amazing for having the 
the the the t-shirts and the merchandise and the caps and the mugs and whatever fridge magnets being in the film amazing to the point to the point that it was in the film yep well i've i've, I've had this mug since 1993 so yeah uh my god 20 23 years that's scary mm. um uh but yeah um so it's on my desk but no a, a massive love of of the original film um i remember again sorry a little bit of memory lane here but this was a film that uh i went to see with my family and friends uh on a sort of preview screening at the cinema that my mate gary used to work at and uh okay. he went and his mum and dad went and my, me and my mum and dad went and my good friend wayne and his parents went so it was kind of a a big this was an event movie i mean this was massive and I, i'll never forget we saw it i think it was on like a sort of saturday morning preview screening um it was it was presented in in dts digital theater system which was the big new you know um cinema sound system and uh just remembered absolutely loving the film and everything about it and being you know pretty much obsessed by it um so it was a, a big a big uh event movie for me and and definitely one of spielberg's uh best films um, a couple of years back, in fact, when they re-released it in 3D um, IMAX, uh, they, they had kind of a re-release of it. I went and saw it and it was interesting because, again, the way Spielberg sets up his shots and his use of depth and whatever, it actually worked quite well in a post um conversion into 3d and it was funny because because my mate tyrone um he dragged me along to see phantom menace when that got released in in 3d a few years back as well and uh yeah not even 3d why? could nothing could save that film but uh, yeah i know why whatever but uh but no jurassic park really worked <laughs> actually so i've got a big big love for jurassic park however lost world and this is obviously the sequel. This is Michael Crichton's Lost World, nothing to do with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, film about dinosaurs uh, or work about dinosaurs. Um, yeah, it was it was 97. I was at film school and it was one of the summer films. And I must admit, I was really worried about myself because I was worried that film school was turning me into a film snob and that I wasn't enjoying um blockbuster popcorn movies anymore and and you know obviously at film school i'd watched a lot of old classics and a lot of art house films and 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 uh you know foreign cinema and experimental stuff and whatever and this can i just say yeah. can i just say um uh you, I, I know you probably you know realized you weren't a film snob but the summer of 97 was fucking awful. Well, it was. It was because that year we had, um, I mean, I was a big Luke Besson fan, but we had the the fifth element, which don't get me wrong, even though it has good elements, um, overall as a film. <laughs> I, 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 I was that the sixth ele element then? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, but but over, overall, I, I was disappointed by that. We also had... Um, you know, the dreadful, we've mentioned it before, um, Batman and Robin, um, and, oh, another S, I guess, uh, Joel, Joel Schumacher, 
I'm one of the few that I I actually quite enjoyed Batman Forever and I didn't have a big problem with that film. I know some people have, but Batman and Robin was it was one of the the cases where I nearly walked out of the cinema because it was so bad and so awful. So we had that. And we also Yann de Bont had done Speed 2 Cruise Control. And even though that oh, had yes. uh, the lovely Sandra Bullock in it, you know, again, the original Speed is one of my all-time favourite action movies. But, uh, but, but you, you know, that that film was bad. So it was one of those summers where all of the summer blockbusters, um, Lost World included, uh, I came out of the cinema pretty disappointed with. And 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 you know, and and you're right. As years have gone by, I realised that. I hadn't become a film snob. It was just a particularly bad year for summer blockbusters that year, <laughs> or at least in my opinion. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the lost world. Um, I'm not saying it's not without its merit. It, it does have some good scenes and good bits in it. Uh, I mean, some of the action stuff, particularly the, uh, the scene at the cliff top where, um, uh, you know Julianne Moore's characters laying on the the the, the, the cracking glass, etc., and they're trying to you know tow the thing up. That's a great sequence and very um, edge of your seat. Yes, but did you see the blooper? What's the blooper? I don't know. I probably haven't seen the film the, enough time. The blooper is when the uh, the truck is being rolled over that you see the back glass actually come off. Oh right, okay. You know the you know the back glass that she falls on. Right, right. So actually, it's actually when it, it's doing all that. It actually, you can see it detach itself. Oh wow! The back. Actually, I, I wonder whether they <laughs> fixed that on the Blu-ray then, because I didn't notice that when I uh, when I watched it recently on the Blu-ray. Um, I wonder whether that's one of those things they've gone back and fixed, you know, like they do sometimes. But okay, but interesting. But yeah, okay. So, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, this this, this film um, basically. Well, for, first of all. I think this is one of the problems when you have a hit uh, film like Jurassic Park and, you, you, you know, four years later or whatever, they want to do a, um, a sequel. And, you know, the wonderful Michael Crichton, who's sadly no longer with us, a great filmmaker in his own right as well. Um, but, you, you know, he had spent years writing and, and, and developing his novel Jurassic Park and it had been with him I mean you know he talks about this in length on a lot of the um behind the scenes things on the uh, on the blu-ray and dvd releases but um you know he had spent years sort of with this idea and developing this idea and writing this idea and coming up with it and then obviously David Coep um took it and 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 adapted it into the screenplay and it and it really worked but the thing was when um you know when there was this idea of doing a sequel um, I think, you know, in many respects, uh, it was kind of rushed out a little bit. And the reason I say that is I always found the, the, the basic premise of it to be rather weak. Um, obviously George, um, obviously Spielberg had set up a, a wonderful bit in the original film with, uh, with the, uh, the can of shaving foam that, that Wayne Knight's character, um, you, you, you know, tries to smuggle out and it ends up, obviously, when he dies, it ends up, uh, you know, getting uh, in, in the waterfall and getting sort of buried there. And and something from that would have been sort of more interesting. But just to sort of come and say, oh, there was a there was a site B 
and uh, oh yeah, we didn't mention that before, and um, you, you know this, that, and the other. I, I, I thought I thought that was a little bit weak. If 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 I'm totally honest, I didn't think that was the best sort of storytelling um, setup. So I kind of I found that a hard buy from the get go. Uh, again, I know we're talking about a film where dinosaurs are running around, but you know, <laughs> still have to have some some believability. And I and I felt that 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 wasn't quite there. Um, the other thing that, that that sort of frustrated me with the film um, was the thing that was so great about the first film is. You had these wonderful, developed, rounded characters that had their different points of view that that, that all kind of, you, you know, they, they they were believable characters. They felt realistic and, and, and you and you sort of bought into them and you, you, you know, you became very attached to them. Um, now, Ian Malcolm, um, you, you know, is one of the interesting characters from the first one wonderfully played by jeff goldblum um and obviously you know he's the, he's the lead in this particular story uh but again some of the things that he did uh, and i know they tried to justify it with his girlfriend being out there and things of this nature but again i i found that a little bit of a hard buy i sort of thought this character that they wonderfully set up in the first film and was the was the one you know he has that wonderful speech in the first film where he's talking about you know, you decided to, you, you, whether you could do this before you thought about whether you should and all, all that sort of stuff. You know, he had that point of view. Yeah, well, um, the, the, the whole basis of this film, his whole speech about nature finds a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, Hammond at the beginning of this throws it back at him, doesn't he? He does. He, says, he does. You said nature would find a way and it did. And it did. But yeah, I, I don't know. So, so, so you've got you've got him and then you've got. You know, the wonderful Julianne Moore playing a character. I find it quite funny now. Her character's called Sarah Harding, which, of course, is the name <laughs> of one of the girls from Girls Aloud that I actually did a film with called Bad Day. So uh, it's, kind, it's, oh, kind of, it's kind of weird to me now. It wasn't at the time, but now it's kind of weird. And then, of course, you've got um, Pete Postlewaite, who, who's a great actor. And, and, you know, he's very strong in this. And then, um, you know, a nice break for, for Vince Vaughn because Spielberg had seen Doug Lyman's Swingers, which is a fantastic film. But that had put um, Vince Vaughn on his radar and, and he got a role in this playing the, uh, the, 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 the photographer that goes out to, um, to, to, to capture all of this. Um, yeah. But, you, you know, you've got other characters like you've got the, uh, is it the nephew of... of um, Richard Attenborough's character and yes, yeah, Peter Ludlow. You've got who's, Peter yeah. Ludlow played by Arliss Howard. Yeah, who, uh, everybody knows as um, uh, Private Cowboy from Full Metal That's Jacket. right. That's right. I mean, I'm not saying he's not a good yeah. actor, but I just don't find his his character in this film very convincing. He is he is a literally well, not literally. He hasn't got a moustache, but he is a, a moustache twirling, you know, bad guy in this and. You kind of, you know, he's he's unlikable from the moment that you meet him. Um, so again, I I just sort of felt that this was this was somewhat two dimensional. Um, and then, you know, definitely in terms of special effects and visual effects and and dinosaurs and whatever. Yes, this is this is a leap from from the first movie. Um, you know, I know it's got like three times as many and all of this sort of thing, but. I just thought that the story and the characters 
um, let it down and, and took away from, from, from the impact that the original had. Again, this is all just my opinion, but this is how I felt about it. Um, the other thing is you've kind of got the, you've kind of got the situation where, uh, you've got Ian Malcolm's daughter, a strange daughter in, in this, um, film that does a stowaway and, 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 and appears. And, and she seems to be the only sensible character in this film. I'm like, you know, she's the only one that's, that's, you know, scared of the dinosaurs and, and not sure that what they're doing is a good idea and all this sort of thing. And you think to yourself, yeah, this, this is the only character with any sense, or at least that's how I felt when I first watched it. I was like, um, you know, you need to be listening to her <laughs> because she's saying the right stuff. The rest of you are crazy. Well, what made me laugh about her staying away was they, they go on this long journey to get to the island and not one point did anybody notice her hiding in the van. Exactly. At, at no point. And, you know, and the, the first time anybody knows she's there is because she's cooking breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of, it, it just seemed... I don't know. It, it just seemed weak. The setup to me just seemed yeah. uh, weak. The, the, but, you know, obviously this was this was a, you know, it was a darker film. Um, uh, I mean, literally darker, because this is when um, the, Spielberg had obviously started his his um, relationship with cinematographer Yanis uh, Kaminsky, yeah, who he'd, he'd worked with on, on Schindler's List and, and sort of works with mm. to this date. Um I have to say uh, nothing against um, Kaminsky's work, but I kind of missed Dean Cundy's look that he had with the the original Jurassic Park. You know, um, I, I, I don't know. I know this was supposed to be a darker film anyway, but uh, um, that that kind of bothered me slightly um, on a level. But the thing the thing that really the thing that really annoyed me about this film more than anything was was the silly third act. Um, you, you know, the, the the first couple of acts of this, apart from the implausibility and the the stupidness of some of the characters, um, you, you know, is exciting and does have good bits and you can kind of go with. And originally, um, the third act was supposed to be as they were leaving the the island. Um, the helicopter was going to get attacked by a, a, a pterodactyl, which obviously was a creature that they, or a dinosaur that they then saved for the third film. Um, but Spielberg, because he wanted to do, because he was a massive fan of like Godzilla movies and that sort of thing growing up, you know, those sort of sci-fi movies, he, he kind of wanted to do his, his love letter, his homage to that and bring bring the dinosaur, you know, to, to the mainland, to, to San Diego. And you had this kind of, um, you, you know, scene, um, the third act with, with, with dinosaurs running around the, 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 the city and chasing cars and, you know, that sort of thing. And I have to admit, I, I really didn't, I didn't really buy any of it. I, I just kind of thought it was a bit silly and, and it pulled me out of the, uh, suspension of disbelief about the whole mythology of this so i was always bothered by that um big time well the thing is uh, i think the title itself is sort of it, it tells you what this film is uh, it's a b movie the lost world it's a b movie it's 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 a, you know it's a dinosaur film that spielberg has probably wanted to make for a long time and it is it is about you know it's about humans with 
dinosaurs and the whole sort of them being hunted and wanting to bring them back to be an attraction at a zoo. Yeah. And, you know, the whole third act, I think it does fit into it. I think the problem with the film is it's not as interesting as the original. And there are some moments where it's it's kind of boring. I mean, I had the, there was moments in this film where it really dragged. I thought the first hour of this film dragged heavily last time I saw this. Yeah. And I think it's because the, the characters aren't well as well-rounded as they are in Jurassic Park. But then Jurassic Park is such a hard act to follow. Oh, definitely. Because the 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 thing about Jurassic Park, the the one thing that you know was the idea of what would happen if humans were reintroduced to dinosaurs, you know, and it the part of the the wonder of that film is the awe of you know of people actually seeing the dinosaurs for the first time. I mean, the when the first time we see the dinosaurs, we see their reaction to it before we even see the dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, it's that, and of course, in this film, you don't get that because we've had it. It's now kind of having to be, you know, well, you know, uh, dinosaurs are a bit passe now because you know we, we've seen them before. Well, f- for uh, Ian Malcolm, that is, and everybody else, it's kind of not. Uh, you know, for them, it's the first time, but for us, we've you know, we've we've seen this before. We've seen this reaction before, so it's not not that interesting no no i mean obviously you know yes the 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 visual effects had moved on and got better but the thing is it just didn't because because the story it was hanging on and the characters weren't as interesting um you know to me that 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 was secondary it didn't matter it was like no this just isn't isn't as good and and you know i hadn't this is a film where the original i've watched you know many many times uh this one i probably I think I only went to the cinema maybe twice to see it. And I watched it when it first came out on DVD because, I, 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 you know, I got a box set DVD thing. And then obviously for this podcast, I finally went and treated myself to the sort of or singing or dancing Blu-ray collection, which included the the, the last uh, world, uh, not last world, sorry, the Jurassic World as well. Um, mm. uh, so I updated and, and watched it again. But it's not... For me, it's one of those films that's not got a lot of massive watch appeal. Um, I actually prefer, again, this is controversial. A lot of people disagree with me here, but I actually prefer the third film in terms of watchability. Um, oh, fuck no. Fucking hell no. Okay. Well, no, no, know. no. Go, go, go see The Doctor now. That is <laughs> That film is awful. Absolutely awful. I, I mean, the fact that you have, uh, uh, you know, a raptor go, Alan... Oh, yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. No, I forgot about that. Uh, I mean, the whole... I mean, I think the problem with the sequels has always been trying to get the main characters from Jurassic Park to go back. Yes. And they have to come up with some way of doing it. And I think the third one, um, you know, absolutely comes out with the most ridiculous one. Mm. It was nice to see Alan Grant back, though, you know. um, Yeah, but, I mean, just it was just a waste. Absolute waste. And... Oh, it, it, you know, uh, as much as I'm a fan of Joe Johnson's work, I mean, I love the Rocketeer and stuff, but I think Jurassic Park 3 was just awful. Uh, I thought the ending was terrible, the whole bit with the giving the eggs back to the raptors and they didn't do anything. You know, it just... Oh, man, just there's so, so many bad things about it. I mean, I thought uh, the, the couple in it were fucking annoying and should have been 
eaten straight away. I thought the new um, dinosaur was not great. And, um, you know, the whole joke with the uh, telephone, the uh, satellite phone being, you know, in its stomach. So every time it was about, you knew it was there and you started hearing, a, you know. Oh, yeah, I forgot ringing. about that. I mean, I haven't seen it for a long time. All, all, I'm, all I'm saying is... is at the time, I was kind of, for some reason, I was less disappointed with that than I was this film. Um, and, and, and you know, the, 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 thing, the thing is, it's interesting because Spielberg, um, you, know, you know, he talks about the Indiana Jones films and he says he doesn't necessarily look at those as, as sequels because they're all separate adventures just using that character in different adventures. Whereas... You, well, you know, Jurassic... Indiana Jones films are his Bond films. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas Jurassic Park, you know, Lost World, this is actually, you know, a, a, a follow-on and a sequel. And I, I yeah, it just to, to me, just not not anywhere near as good. Um, it's not. It's probably not his worst film by by any means. But um, I just again, I'm just going on sort of my gut feeling and my reaction. And I remember going to see this and being extremely disappointed by it. And it's funny, I've read since that, that Spielberg himself has said that he, he got frustrated while making this and um, kind of dropped the ball a little bit towards towards the end. And, uh, you know, even though, you know, obviously all of the visual effects are amazing, all of you know Stan Winston's animatronics, etc., that are used are, are are remarkable. I mean, all of that stuff in terms of technically, it, it's it's a wonderfully made film. It's just um, I think the story is weak uh, and the characters. You, you know, the bit at the end. I mean, when when uh, when um, uh, sorry, I keep forgetting the character's name. When um, uh, is it Peter? Lundgren? Yeah, yeah. When when he gets his comeuppance i mean yeah you know he's such a slime bag and so two-dimensional through the whole thing that 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 you know you just you don't really care you know you're just like oh well yeah he he bought it and uh, it was just kind of you know there, there were little things like i like the little nod to, to to king kong in so much as the the name of the boat that that brought them across was the same as as the one that was supposed to have brought bought king kong back um and, and, and things of that nature but uh, and also did you notice a again we were talking about him being reflected in a in a phone box but i know whether it's intentional but have you ever noticed um spielberg's reflection cameo in this film no you know the end scene when again again sloppy storytelling but they're watching the news and the news is talking about how the uh the dinosaurs being taken back oh, right. and he back, is actually yeah. reflected in the tv screen sat next to uh jeff goldblum and julianne moore sat between them and then obviously when it cuts oh, right. he's not there don't know whether that was intentional but i've always noticed that it was like weird that it is intentional yeah, yeah. but it is intentional yeah. but uh no no that's well um I was going to say though, it's it's funny seeing Vince Vaughn sort of doing a a serious role, isn't it? Because um, when we think of Vince Vaughn now, we think of his more sort of comedy stuff. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, he did True Detective. He's gone back to being a bit yeah, more dramatic. But, I mean, but yeah, I know. But that's not when you think when you say Vince Vaughn, you don't think the ser- you know the quite serious actor Vince Vaughn or the you know. 
the the more of the characters that he played in um in swingers it is funny sort of seeing him like that because you were expecting him to sort of you know start you know maybe next week being an intern for google yeah or you know start a dodgeball team that's right no, that's right well i mean it's it's kind of like the uh the point i was trying to make when we were talking on the the hitchcock one about psycho mm. and how um my class's reaction to it um you know they saw vince vaughn absolutely as this um you know comedic yeah. guy because of because of the history of his film since he made that so yeah yeah it's it, it is it is kind of weird to see him in this but uh but what a great break for him you know um Spielberg. I mean, don't get me wrong. Swingers is a great movie, and he's really good in it. So, um, I, I I love the fact that Spielberg, you know, is a film fan and watches films. And if he does see talent out there, he um he gets them involved, and that's that's another really cool thing about Spielberg. But um, but yeah, you know, uh, Lost World really didn't do it for me. The other thing I always thought was stupid is the very end of it they said about how you know it's okay that that everything's going to be sort of quarantined on this island yet they yeah. show that the, the final shot of it shows a, a you know like a pterodactyl and you think to yourself well that can fly so that's not going to be quarantined on any island well yeah like, i mean it was kind of sequel bait wasn't yeah. it it was like oh what's going to happen next but uh don't you worry keith because Jurassic World came along and said that two and three didn't happen anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's true, isn't it? I mean, Jurassic World has kind of rewritten it to the point where uh, parts two and three never happen. That Jurassic Park, yes, they had problems when they opened, but they, even after all those deaths, they still carried on yeah. and became a big, a big, huge amusement park. Yeah, I mean, I found, I found Jurassic World... Um, fairly interesting and fairly entertaining i mean it had it had a few too many coincidences in it and also one thing that really bothered me and this is a silly thing but it just annoyed me that after 23 years the jeep that the tires were still inflated on it i was like what the fuck but uh, but that's the sort of thing that bugs me those sort of things but yeah. but overall i thought it was quite entertaining and and do, do you know the um the the fan theory about the um chris pratt character in it have you heard this one no i haven't gone what's the fan theory there is a whole fan theory that the uh the kid that alan grant um sort of terrorizes at the beginning of jurassic park telling them about the raptor and 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 all this sort of thing is in fact uh, that kid 25 years on, you know, and, and uh, hence why he's learned to sort of communicate with, with, with the raptors and whatever, because that moment kind of shaped his future, which, uh, which is a bit of a stretch. That's, that's hilarious because the, the, in the film, uh, that character is from the Navy. <laughs> so, so they're, they're saying, so this guy met Alan Grant with his kid and, you know, he was a bit bored, so Alan Grant sort of terrorised him with a raptor claw. And then he fought and then went and joined the Navy. Hey, who knows? But always wanted to be a raptor trainer. Yeah. No. <laughs> hey, I, I didn't say... I didn't oh, say I do love good, fan I theories. I didn't say it was a good theory. I just said it's a theory that was out there and uh, that, 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 that I've heard. But yeah, so... Um, right. But yeah, you know, uh, they, they've, kind of, they've kind of re-kicked 
you know, the franchise again. Yes. Um, they've obviously done the same clever, clever thing with the marketing in the fact that you've got the Jurassic yeah. World logo uh, on everything. When I when I went out to the states last year, um, again everywhere was was you know Jurassic World t-shirts and mugs and um you know pin yeah. badges and all all that sort of stuff uh, i did actually get a t-shirt so i'm guilty well i just say for, for my opinion on the film and having just watched it recently i'd say the first hour is a bit dull it's a bit i, I didn't i i wasn't impressed with it but then uh in the second hour i absolutely enjoyed it it's just you had to get through the first hour yeah and it, it doesn't help that um, there's a lot of stuff there that makes doesn't uh, there it's in there and you just you scratch your head why I, I the whole thing with the kids' parents getting divorced was like mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't know I mean I I I did love the the fact that they you know they had um, oh I can't remember the actress's name. But the redheaded actress running around in high heels. Oh, what Dal- Dallas Bryce Howard? Yeah. yeah. Yes, and they actually sort of did comment on it. Right. And it wasn't like one of those things where she just is running around in high heels and nobody says a thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. But, they uh, did. Kind yeah. Of it, 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 it it got it got enjoyable, but uh, yeah. But it, the the first hour I felt was a bit was a bit slow. Yeah. Yeah. Still not a patch on the original. Uh, film and uh, it, it, even no. even the even the updated logo i i still think that the uh the the, the black red and yellow original logo it, it, to me is 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 still better than the uh the sort of blue and silver one that they've they've done but uh yeah yeah it's good right well let's uh leave the lost world yes let's do it and move on to my pick which is War of the Worlds. Now, um, as a kid growing up, I saw the uh, 1950s version of this. Oh, what, the George Powell one, yeah? Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I remember, actually, the first time I was made aware of it was actually watching Explorers, because um, the, uh, the main character in that, uh, the Ethan Hawke character, watched it a lot on tv and also uh i remember seeing the tv series of this back in the 90s oh that's right it was kind of a follow-on from the film wasn't it yeah that's right these aliens had been stored in um like oil cans and they had been preserved and they uh i think there was like a toxic spill which killed the viruses that you know that was killing them off in the film and so they were able to come back i think they did at least two series of it and the first series they were the sort of free-eyed monsters and then they started taking over human bodies and it became a more of like an invaders show all oh, right uh but I, I i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was very good uh and so uh spielberg being a fan of, of the uh, film and the book and I wonder if he's a fan of the Jeff Wayne musical as well I don't know I know he was a fan of the uh, the Orson Welles radio um, oh yes uh, you, you know broadcast of it wasn't yeah. he I know he was a yeah. big fan of that yeah. Um, yeah 
so he he set out to make his own version of it and um i it, it for me it doesn't work and my reasons for why it doesn't work is that well firstly he decided instead of it being from a worldwide view where in the film you had like the generals and uh, scientists and the people in the know who were dealing with it it was a more personal it was people on the ground actually being affected by this big massive thing and it it is a great idea but he just didn't follow it through really he still had wanted to sort of follow the the story you know either the the 1950s film or or the or the book and uh i think trying to stick with that actually uh well the first half i remember when i saw it at the cinema the first half was edge of your seat stuff it really was it was very effective and then it they went down into that basement and for me that was when the film fell apart because then suddenly you were taken out of it suddenly you and it was kind of trying to follow the beats of the of the the previous film and the book with the whole sort of um tentacle eye thing coming in and the aliens coming down and and the 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 thing that I enjoyed about the first half was that the film had this momentum that they had to keep moving that these um you know the the tripods were there you know they were saying once the tripods move into an area nothing comes out of it and you believe it for you know just from that first um you know reveal and so being stuck down there was you know it just it just felt it just felt wrong it should be they should be on the move the other problem is that it is an allegory for 9/11 there is so much 9/11 imagery in this film it's 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 crazy and i think the the people why people have problems with the character choices in this it stems from that. So you you've got the elder son who he wants to fight back against the aliens. He's like, We gotta fight back and he's like the voice of the American public at the time that this thing had happened, you know, nine eleven had happened to this atrocity. They you know, they'd never had a terrorist attack like this happen to them. Nobody's had a terrorist attack like this happen to them. And their first reaction is they want to hit back at them. And Tom Cruise, in some sense, is representative of George W. Bush, where he's like, he just wants to run away and hide. And especially when it comes to that second half, especially when they're down in the um, in the basement with Tim Robbins, um, he, he, he comes like powerless. He doesn't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. And then, and of course... I don't know what Dakota Fanning character is, uh, but she's very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> very annoying. <laughs> when uh, I mean, there's just there's so many things wrong in it. Yeah, I mean, in- interesting uh, to hear your point of view on that. I mean, I I remember at the time, I you know, I thought the film was okay. 
and uh, I've revisited it obviously for this podcast. Um, I don't, I don't think it's as bad as as you think. Obviously, um, I kind of like the fact that you know normally these kind of films, and and you know we we've, we've had dozens of them, you know, like leading up to this with Independence Day and all of these sort of things. You know, they tend to be big sort of ensemble um you know films that you know involve the government and you see some sort of major landmark being destroyed and and all this sort of thing and i and i think the choice to to um just make it about a you know a, a family unit with a sort of deadbeat dad and his is two estranged um you, you know kids or or, or teenager and, and child um you know was it was an interesting choice the the other thing is hg wells's original novel does sort of um tell it sort of in the first person from this sort of narrator's point of view um which which they kind of went back to the roots of that slightly as well which i liked the thing with the film is that it, it does that and it, it it kind of goes its own way in some sense i mean yes you still get the uh the barge and you know uh, and you still get like the red weed and stuff like that but i i really felt that it should have it should have kept the momentum up and trying to follow the book you know especially in the second half so um dutifully it was a big mistake and the it it just the film stalls and it never gets that momentum back up yeah again. no i i do i do agree with you about that i mean i i think that the yeah. I think that the 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 setup, um, you, you know, the first part of the film, uh, you know, pretty much up until they get on the on on the on the ferry or whatever, is 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 very good. Um, where I think it does lose it slightly is when they go down in the bunker with with the Tim Robbins character. I know this was kind of again in the original book, but um, yeah. uh, you, you know, and in, in, in obviously Cruz's character changes slightly and sort of mans up and 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 you know um you, you know ch- changes his path but um yeah i you, you know having rewatched it i i do think it do- it did lose my interest a little bit in the second half and i i, I do agree with you on that the um the the, the end the resolution um you, you know do- does kind of is kind of a sort of no oh, whatever kind of ending you feel somewhat disappointed after the after the good first act and the good build-up um i have to say though uh you, you know again we, we've said various things about tom cruise on 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 other podcasts and uh you, you know generally i really like tom cruise and i i i thought he was good in this um i mean this is obviously his you know, it was co-produced by him as well uh, with with Spielberg's team. But this is obviously their second collaboration. Their first being Minority Report, which I have to say I prefer much more as a film. Oh, Minority Report is, is much, much, much better yeah, than this. But, yeah, but um, but you know, I actually, I actually thought Cruise. It's interesting. Cruise kind of you could imagine he was he was some of those characters that he played in his his early films like, you know, Days of Thunder or, or stuff like that, sort of 20 years on that had sort of, you know, got got married early and had kids and sort of made all the wrong choices in life and was kind of, um, 
you, you, you know, sort of stuck where he was at the beginning of this. And, uh, you know, I particularly liked, you know, again, at the point of the film where they go to um, his ex-wife's uh, place and, you know, he, 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 he there's no food for the kids and he, he makes them the peanut butter sandwiches and, you know, is not aware that his daughter has the nut allergy and, and all of that, that stuff. I, you see, I thought all of that was really good. I, I thought that it lost it, um, you know, once they get into, well, once more people start getting involved and once they sort of, um, you know, they drive and they, they obviously get sort of overthrown by uh, all of the people you know, bashing on the on the uh, the SUV that they they'd stolen and whatever. Um, I I think from there it starts to lose it and and yeah, the second half I cared a lot less about than I did the initial setup. Um, but but you know, I actually thought Cruz was 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 pretty good in this. I I, I liked um I liked the way he he played this. I thought it it worked quite nicely. But um, I mean the the other problem I have is with the aliens plan um so in the in the books and the musical and the the film is that they come down in cylinders or meteors Mm -hmm. and in this they had buried the machines under the earth yeah it's kind of odd you know we can say maybe millions of years before you know and it's kind of like, um, so they, they, I don't know, dropped them down or buried them or whatever. And they went, well, we'll come back in a million years time. And, uh, you know, there might be people around and we might be able to use these things. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> I think I'm getting a bit of a cold as well. <laughs> you know, it's their the, the plan is that they had these things buried and they had the foresight to know that the cities would be built on top of them. And then, uh, and then they sort of, you know, shoot themselves in there with the the lightning, which is uh, an EMP pulse. So they knew that you know that humans would have electronics in the future that they could disable this way. Yet um, somehow somebody's video recorder is able to work. It's a very pretty shot when they start evaporating. You know that you you first see it through oh, yeah, yeah. the lens the, of the camera, but it doesn't make any bloody mistake. You know, yeah, you know, sense that, that nothing else is working. Yeah, I sort of thought that was nothing weird. else thinking, is working. How comes the camcorder's working if if everything electronic was supposed to have been fried and and it was? It was almost yeah. so they could get that really cool shot where the camcorder's on the ground and we're we're looking on the um the the the, the viewfinder monitor thing but uh yeah it didn't really make any sense at all i i agree i thought that and also the 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 way of killing seems to change from thing to thing so so you know the death ray which i mean it's great that it isn't death ray you know it, it turns people into powder i thought that that's brilliant i mean you know that is that's a really good way of doing it because it's, it's horrible yet it's not too graphic you know, it's a horrible idea. But then it goes back to 9-11, so you see Tom Cruise covered in dust. Uh-huh. And, of course, you saw survivors of the two towers all covered in dust, so it's back to 9-11. Um, but then later on, when Dakota Fanning is um, by a riverside and you just see all these bodies floating down the river, it's like, wait a minute, I thought they evaporate them. What's, what's with all these bodies, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, so you have that. I mean... Uh, I did love the the shot of the the train on fire. 
Yeah. And, you know, when they, they're, they're, they're walking after they just, you know, the scene with people are bad. You know, when things go wrong, people people turn bad. Um, it, you know, they're walking along and the, the barriers come down and then you see this train fly past, you know, it completely engulfed in, you know, flames coming out the windows. And it's just like, it's such a cool moment. And then once it goes past, people just nonchalantly just keep going yeah 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 no i mean i'm the whole 9 11 thing which yeah you know is very blatant in it i mean i I think that's just a sign of you know this was made in 2005 and i think that was just you know that was obviously in the psyche um you know at at, at the time i know that and 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 that kind of use of imagery is fine but the problem is he, he it just made it so much more about it. and he so instead of having characters we had caricatures or stand-ins for people's opinions so hence why it makes no sense that the 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 eldest son who's shown no interest in in you know fighting or being in the army then suddenly wants to attack these aliens you know he you know he He's like trying to join the army as they're driving down the road. You know, there's that whole, you know, that scene where he lets go of his son, lets him go to, you know, to to die in a massive fireball. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's because he's, he's just like the American consciousness. You know, the whole thing is that they wanted to strike back at somebody and it didn't matter who. And, of course, it then turned out to be Iraq because instead of dealing with the real problem, which was um, oh, uh, bin Laden, you know, they they went and attacked Iraq because, you know, somebody said they had weapons of mass destruction. So you don't have real characters in it. I mean, yes, um, I, you know, Tom Cruise playing a bad dad, you know, <laughs> a touch dad. You know, I thought he was... He, he, he was doing that really well and i thought the two kids were kind of interesting before the shit hits the fan yeah i mean the the whole thing with dakota fanning's um splinter oh don't worry nature will push it out was a very much on the nose yeah that was a bit foreshadowed winky wasn't it yeah and of course you you had the sort of schmaltzy sentimental ending as well with the you know the re the reunited <laughs> and, and they put in the couple of cameos of the uh the, yes. the parents. Yeah, but I mean, let let's not forget. I mean, I didn't mind it being schmaltzy. I mean, the fact is that the the point of the story was he was going to get the kids back to him. But the fact that the son turns up and he's a bit charred was absolutely stupid. I have to say, was the biggest mistake ever. You know that that boy had died, and if he hadn't died in that fireboard, he would have died in something else. He would have probably been grabbed by one of those tripods. Yeah. And let's talk about that as well. So the whole idea is that the red weed, um, they're using human blood to feed it. And so how we find this out is that the machines place a human on the ground and then has this uh, tendril come out and, you know, with a like a, a syringe or something, something very sharp and pointing. And you just you see it happen behind a, a vehicle and you know that you know and he starts sort of seeing you know you know uh, i think tom cruise gets some blood on him or something like that and you think what well, you've got these massive machines 
isn't that really ineffectual way of doing it? You harvest these humans and then you just plonk them on the floor and you do it one at a time. Yeah, no, it, it definitely, you know? it definitely suffered from its its, its plot holes, um, particularly yeah. in the second. I mean, I half. do love, I do love the bit where, so you know, when they get captured, and it it, and so when people get grabbed and taken up, it, you know, the rest of the people there, they're scared, they don't do anything. But when Tom Cruise gets grabbed, it's like everybody hold on to him. Yeah. Well, this, 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 I guess, um, <laughs> interesting listening to you, and it's make, make, making me think about it. And um, uh, I, I, I think this is this is possibly where where the film um, doesn't totally work, and where it did make a mistake is is what it had done is it, it spent the first half avoiding all of the trappings and the cliches of that type of genre and that type of film, right? But unfortunately. Yeah. In the second half, it does become the cliche show, doesn't it? Very much, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is a shame, you know. It kind of, it they, they kind of uh, let it go a little bit with the second half, and and you, you're right, there were absolutely loads of things that didn't make sense um, in the story. Well, how I feel the story should have gone is that that Tom Cruise had to sacrifice himself to save his kids. It's Tom Cruise. That is how it should have happened. It doesn't matter. No, Tom Cruise has died in films <laughs> yeah. before. But, you know, in this film, he he needed to make the final sacrifice to protect his kids, to make sure they get home. And also the fact that he is there to see, you know, the, the aliens being turned back by, um, you know, a virus and stuff. And he does the whole bit with the the army guys it's like look at the look at the birds look at the birds mm-hmm. you know you see one of those big hulking tripods you're not hanging around you ain't going you know army guys good luck to you you know it it, it yeah it the the ending was just too smaltzy and you know it, it should have ended with with tom cruise sacrificing himself to save his kids yeah no i mean and it, 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 it's just didn't happen. it's one of those films it had it had some very good elements um but overall yeah it certainly isn't it certainly isn't one of spielberg's or tom cruise's come to that matter one of it's not one of their strongest films you know it, it, it's 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 got its problems um and uh yeah yeah i mean as i said re-watching it I mean, at the time, I just kind of thought, meh, it was okay. But it's the fact that that, that says loads there. It's a Spielberg, Tom Cruise film. And I was just kind of meh. And, and I thought at the time, I, I thought, oh, I much yeah. preferred Minority Report. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the the other thing is I'm re-watching it um, recently, which I think was possibly only the second time I've seen it. Um, it started off and I thought, what the hell is Simon talking about? This is great. You know, I love this. We're definitely going to disagree on this. But you're right. Once it got to the bunker and Tim Robbins and introducing some of the other people, it, it seemed to lose its way somewhat. And, you, you know, between that and the and the plot holes and the, the you know, think, things not making sense, um, yeah, it's 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 kind of it's one of those films. It's not a badly made film or a badly acted film, but it just doesn't work overall. It's not a. It's certainly not what you'd expect um, quality wise from from Spielberg. And yeah, there there have been better adaptations yeah. of of H. G. Wells's novel. Um, 
than, than this. I mean, okay, you know, they, they obviously contemporized it and Americanized it, but, um, you, you, you know, it's kind of... Which yeah. I have no problems with, but I, I think the, the final problem I have with this film is that the, tribo- the tripods do not go oola. There's not an oola amongst yeah. them. <laughs> yes, it's missing <laughs> oolas. That sounds like a euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh la. La. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it, I, I, I see where you're yeah. coming from. It's not, uh, it's not a great film. It's, it's not a, it's not an awful film, but it's not, um, it's not as good as, as a lot of his other material. And, uh, as I said, in terms of collaborations with Tom Cruise, um, you know, I thought, again, a contender for movie heaven to an extent could have been Minority Report because I thought that was an extremely good film. So, yes. Uh, yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. Okay. But there you go. Okay. Yes. Right. Well, Keith, is there any last words you want to say about Spielberg? We've gushed over this man and uh, even even with the movie Hells, you know, we've 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 been we haven't been too hard we've been somewhat forgiving uh talk about yourself <laughs> you, you know he he is sadly uh even though he's absolutely wonderful interviewed and he gives loads in his interviews uh you, you know and and everything and there's there's lots of material out there he along with like um Woody Allen and and David Lynch and I, and the Coens I guess unfortunately does not do commentaries which which is kind of frustrating because uh you know he thinks it it sort of takes the magic of the, the the films away and whatever but um you know we now live in a society that's so savvy about filmmaking anyway um and and, and you, you know as i said he gives lots of information when interviewed uh, or in documentaries hey you know my first thing was watching him direct Raiders of the Lost Ark on that making of that I find it almost a bit bizarre that he doesn't that he doesn't do commentaries and he doesn't believe in them but uh but 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 sadly he doesn't He's... I'm afraid that time is passing now I mean um you know blu-ray and dvd sales are going down the the need to come up with a like a you know extra material is becoming less and less now um you know we're we're going to have a point where physical media is going to disappear and it's all going to be digital and so the need to have that extra material is not going to be there but then as you say there is a lot of material on Spielberg and his films on the internet people have poured over his films you know we're talking Mm. about well I've got books in my rack you know know, my bookshelf uh, loads of books about Spielberg and and, and the cinema of Spielberg and and things of that nature so yeah so I I feel that the fact that he doesn't do a director's commentary is not that much of a loss because he talks so much about films in interviews that he does live appearances for screenings that he does talk about his stuff it's just that he doesn't want to sit down in front of the film for however long mm, it is to talk absolutely about it. no it's good and of course he is one of the the few directors out there that you know absolutely has final cut and still chooses to shoot and edit on mm. on celluloid on film which is uh you know again we've had many a podcast about this but you know he's 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 one of those few that still believes in the in the chemical process of of, of filmmaking 
um, which is interesting, you know, when a lot of his films are very effects laden as well. But, um, uh, you know, I, I find that quite interesting. Let me ask you, though, do you feel uh, and this is a little bit of a Spielberg criticism, perhaps. Um, do you feel that in, in sort of recent years uh, as a producer, he's kind of sort of put his name to everything and anything um like we mentioned the transformers films which okay the 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 first one i actually quite enjoyed but everything since has been god awful in my opinion but uh you know well i mean the thing is he he runs a studio he he runs dreamworks so if it's made through dreamworks then it kind of makes him you know an executive producer so yeah, I mean it's not a Spielberg presents really, is it? Uh, not with the not with the Transformers no, I guess not. films. Uh, I I know there's other stuff where it does say Spielberg presents, um, like um, was it Taken? Oh, the TV well, series, yeah, the TV not, series not the Liam had, Neeson film. <laughs> yeah, the the one that introduced yes. Dakota Fanning to the world, where I have to say she was a much better character than she was in this yeah. in War of the Worlds. Uh, but, you know, uh, he, he, I think if he puts his name to it, that's a, a mark. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, he believes in it. Otherwise, if it's just, if it's just from executive producer, Steven Spielberg, it's just because it's being yeah. produced. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he has always been, he, even though he, you know, he does obviously big, big blockbuster movies, etc. He's, he's always, um, he's always going way back, had, had ties to, uh, to television as well and and you know we've already mentioned the the mm. wonderful band of oh, brothers God, and amazing yeah, the, stories the amazing stories and, and band amazing of brothers stories, and, yeah. and the pacific but also in in some more recent tv shows he's actually explored some of the themes that have been set up in his in some of his films like for example um there was a tv show called extant which stars halle berry which kind of explores some of the things like in, right. in ai um and then he's got, you know, obviously okay. Falling Skies, which which dealt with alien invasions and stuff. And then, of course, he's got coming up uh, soon. Yeah. Um, they're going to do a Minority Report uh, TV series, which is a an extension. It's, it's not a reboot. It's like an extension of the film taking place some years after the events of the film. Uh, a little bit like they've just done with Limitless. I don't know whether you've seen that. They've just done no, a TV that series that takes place like sort of four years after the events of of, of of the film um so yeah you know he's he's always kind of uh kind of dabbling in 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 that area as well and um you know some of these shows have, have had somewhat mixed reviews and you know some of them work and some of them aren't particularly good but um you, you know it, it's good that he's uh that he's these these always involved and in, and in that there's stuff out there and that he, he's he gives some people you know breaks as well which is uh which is really important. So, yeah, uh, and it's you know, and at his age, you know, he's not sitting back and in, enjoying his retirement. He's still out there making yeah. films that he wants to make. So well, at the Baftas last great, week, so. he actually um, he he went and accepted the award for Mark Rylance for um, uh, you know the supporting actor category for for Bridge of Spies because. Uh, Ryan's was doing what he loves best. He was he was on Broadway in 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 theatre. So uh, Spielberg came up and did it, and uh, it, it, you know is 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 always he he always comes across passionate but humble. I always feel is 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 a good way 
to to sort of describe him and uh yeah yeah would love to would love to work with him someday amongst many others <laughs> <laughs> well one day you never know you never know i think that's a good place to end yeah it. well we talked loads haven't we there's a lot to cover we have talked a, we've talked a lot there's films we haven't even mentioned but uh but you know that do they need any mention no people know what his <laughs> movies are so yes yes that's it and if you don't go out and watch one you might enjoy it <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> So, Keith, where can we find your work? Okay, if you want to find my work, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, spelled E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, um, there are short films there that I've written, produced and directed that you can watch. And uh, if you want to leave any comments or get in touch, that would be the way to do it. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. You can listen to this uh, podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and uh, YouTube. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, please leave us a review and a rating on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. So, um, that just leaves me to say uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, join us next week. Bye-bye. 